The following program is an MLWRadio.com production. So today we're going to be talking about the White Castle of Fear. But fear not, you can get a home of your own. It doesn't have to be a White Castle at brandnewhouse.com. Brandnewhouse.com is your one-stop shop to go ahead and get yourself approved for a brand new home. Here's what we're talking about. A house where you pick out everything. You want to pick out your floors, your countertops, your kitchen cabinets, the color of your brick. You choose everything at brandnewhouse.com and they know how to make it fast and easy. You get a low monthly payment, cheaper than what you're paying in rent. You can even do this with no money down, but maybe best of all, everything in your house is brand new. So there's no repairs and you get a warranty. Of course, pick everything, including your monthly payment. That's right. Your monthly payment too at brandnewhouse.com. You're just a couple of clicks away. It's fast and easy to get the home of your dreams. Starting at just 700 bucks a month at brandnewhouse.com. That's brandnewhouse.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson. Jim Crockett, first arcade, 605 NWA. TV title, Cajun Omni, the bunkhouse stampede. Flair and Horseman, Garvin, Bogey, Magnum, Dusty, Express Tactics. Turner bought in Mid-South Joint World Championship Wrestling. Talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotion. Tony and first North, they win. Look, Shivani's back again. World title split off center stage. Bischoff, Disney, Hogan, and Nitro. New World Order and the Crow. Thunder Russo, Arquette Champ, Vinny Mac, simulcast. Tony's back with Conrad, not your classy podcast. Watch along, try not to laugh. Lois rules, cat back. This wasn't the initial plan. Tom Ziggs a good-looking man. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? Monday on the MLW Radio Network. And of course, the Master of Ceremonies is with us, Mr. Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, Conrad, how you doing, buddy? It's been, uh, gosh, a week, and I've, I've missed you this week. I've, I've missed you too, buddy. It, it's kind of fun. We got to do a, a little Super Bowl party action last week. Yeah, we did. We put our episode in the can before that, of course, because we didn't want to be taping during the Super Bowl. But I had a great time. Thanks to you and Lois for uh, making the trip to hang out at the Conradison a little bit. It was her first trip at the Conradison. Uh, and as expected with Lois Shivani, you got to really coax her to get her to go anywhere. Uh, and it's like, I don't know. I did. Uh, you know, I, I've gained so much weight I, you know, and then, uh, I won't have a good time. And then she has a spectacular time, uh, of course. Uh, and then she has a wonderful time. And I told her, I said, you know, we need to go. She went already. I said, yeah, it's third quarter. Really? Okay. Let's go then. And then all the way back. She, I had such a great time. I really want to go back. I said, same shit all the time. <laughs> she has a great time, but then she never wants to go. But, uh, Thanks for having us. We had a great, it was wonderful. You, it was a, it was great. It was great seeing your friends and uh, your parents. And um, you certainly always make us feel welcome there. And we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for making the trip and thanks for convincing Lois. People are always happy to see Lois. 
Yeah, she got she finally got to meet uh, Big Booty Judy in person. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! For those of you who haven't been keeping up, Big Booty Judy is uh, the wife of one of my very best friends, Cassie or Kid, and uh, we we talk about Cassie or Kid all the time on the show, and he's actually the person behind the button on a fur coat joke. And, uh, his wife is nicknamed big booty Judy. So, uh, that's a, that's a cast of characters at my house at all time. I almost in the introduction, because she was really excited to meet Lois. I almost says, uh, Lois, this is big booty, Judy, big booty, Judy. This is extreme booty Lois, <laughs> uh, but I didn't want to start out my super bowl party like that. That would have been a downer. Cause she would have reminded me of the, that the entire time, but we had a great time. Yeehaw! And it was a great game, and I'm sorry I didn't stay for the end of it. But like I said, that's the way I am. I kind of, you know, hit and run. Well, I'm not mad at long. But we don't do much hit and run on here, though. And we've got a doozy of a show for you today. We're going to be covering Super Brawl 3. So we want you to fire up your WWE Network. And uh, we're going to have a little help from Lois in just a moment. She's going to give us a bit of a countdown. And we're going to get going on this week's episode Super Brawl 3. Do you think we've got Lois up and stirring around yet this morning? <laughs> she's always stirring around. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. She's ready to go. She has fed the dogs. She has coughed and hacked. She's got, uh, uh, you know, she's had a cold the entire winter. Really? Uh, yeah. And she and then, then she, she'll keep t- pulling the, uh, getting out the bottle of Jim Beam and pointing it with the honey and the lemon juice and drinking that and say, that really helps. I said, the hell it does. You've had a cold all winter. It hasn't helped at all. So she's had a big swig of that. So she's ready to go. She's always had a big swig of something, but she's ready to go. Well, let's get her in here. All right. So Tony, you go ahead and uh, give me a new account down and Coon will replace all of this with Lois. Right. And so right. g- give me a countdown to the window press play and I'm ready. All right. For all you slap dicks out there, when I say go, you hit the button that says play, okay? All right, here we go. Shut up, Tony. Three, two, one, go. We have. We open up Super Brawl with uh, the angle heading to White Castle of Fear. Big Van Vader. He was called Big Van Vader that time. Uh, choking and strapping Sting and Harley Race. Telling Sting, you're dead in God's green earth. You're dead. And stay. this is a pretty good-looking uh, video here. And then, of course, uh, Big Van Vader and Harley Race. In looking at this show, in watching this show, I got to say. He's I gotta fucking say, killing those dudes with that. He was, he was, he was a badass. Uh-oh, it's time for James Bond. Do you remember the James Bond movie, Honor Majesty's Secret Service? No. Well, okay. Anyway, I'll I'll get into that later. Super Brawl comes to you from Asheville, North Kakalaka, home of one time of the Rock and Roll Express Super Summer Sizzler Tour. And what a night we're having. The debut of Chris Benoit, the debut of the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, and the return, right, Conrad, of the one and only Nature Boy, Rick Flair. It's a loaded show, and we have a lot of fun talking about some of the Woo. silly times of WCW, but this was one of the great times, and how roll tide is Missy Hyatt here. Looked great. She played a great part here. Eric Bischoff is all dolled up, and this, if I'm correct, would be Eric Bischoff's 
first foray as executive producer of WCW, right? Really? In a pay-per-view? Okay. I believe so. I was was trying to work. I was trying to look. It was like the beginning of 93. The end of 92 is when the change was made over. Uh, so I think Eric is running the show here. So here we go. And Missy is, you know, Missy never looked bad. Never. No. She always looked great. Even when she, you know, even when she arrived with maybe sweats on and she just looked spectacular. And she knew it too. Uh, so we go from them to yo, the newest member of our broadcast team. It lasted, I think, one show. And that is Johnny B. Bad. Why? MCA, YMCA, oh my gosh. How would you describe his outfit here? This looks like he's a cruise director. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, how would, how would you describe his outfit here? He would be the cruise director for the big boy ship. Hey, you know, I, what he, I don't know if you are in the loop on this, but Chris Jericho is doing a cruise. Did you know that? Is he really? So he's booked a cruise with a bunch of bands, a bunch of stand-up comedians, and tons of wrestlers. And it's going to be the first time that actual wrestling matches happen on a cruise ship. And they've got some pretty big names signed. Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, lots of folks. I think Jim Ross is going. Oh, uh, very cool. I mean, it's, it's a big operation. And I started to think maybe, you know, our little group of friends should do one. And we could call it the Brother Love, sh- uh, the brother love Ship. <laughs> yes, we could. I, I think... If you get Omega and you get the Young Bucks and you get Jericho on a cruise and they're going to wrestle, why not throw somebody out all you know overboard? Big high spot. Oh, I mean that needs to happen. I mean yeah. I don't think we could get away with calling it the Brother Love Boat. Do you? No. Uh, you know what? I at at first glance I would think no, but hell, you and I have gotten away with a lot of shit. That's what I was going <laughs> to say. But the backup plan would definitely be ship. They couldn't stop us from ship. But Brother Love Boat. Yeah. It's got a great ring to it. Speaking of great rings to it, Woo. look at this skinny, handsome devil on the right. Uh, skinny and handsome is right. Working with Jesse the Body Ventura. You know it's the Eric Bischoff era uh, because I'm doing the play-by-play. JR is gone. Uh, he's gone to the WWE by this time, so I'm working with Jesse. And you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm asked many times, uh, who's your favorite color guy to work with? I, I, boy, Jesse and I had, a, I thought, a great relationship and a great uh uh, rapport back and forth. We got along. We liked each other. I respected him. I remember the, the days for uh, Saturday night's main event, which is where he became a big star. And so even went back on the network, I got, I started watching the show on the network and then I got caught up in, oh, you know, the, uh, there's a part on the WWE network called, uh, the hidden gems. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Yeah. I even saw Jesse, the body Ventura, uh, in a tag team match. Uh, back in the old AWA days. Uh, and he was teaming up with Blackjack Lanza and someone else against Ganya and uh, Rick Martel and, and Brunzel, I think. Uh, and it was spectacular. So uh, he wasn't the world's greatest worker, but damn, he was a great talker. So it's time for action. You ready for action? Here we fucking go. It's, oh, no. No, we're not. I'm sorry. It's time for a fat Matt Coon. Actually, a skinny Matt Coon, uh, uh, known as uh, Max Payne, to play the national anthem with Norma Jean. Did a spectacular job here. It was a great rendition. Am I allowed to talk over the national anthem? Yeah. Is that? Of course. Okay. Roll time. All right. Uh, and I did a great rendition here of the national anthem to the point to where I, I remember thinking at this time, and as I'm seeing it again, uh, 
that's kind of making him a baby face because they're going to cheer at the end of the national anthem and he's supposed to be a shit heel. Uh, but he did a great job here. What a, I, I thought Max was a talented kid. For a big guy, he could bump. He could obviously play the guitar. And he played the national anthem here. Isn't it kind of weird, though, in hindsight, to have a heel doing the national anthem? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I I, I just think that uh, it, w- it w- he's going to get a cheer here, and, and he's a heel. And, uh, yeah, it, it's but really But I guess weird. I'm saying, though, like, doesn't somebody in the back say, hey, uh, any bad no. guy? No, everybody says, great idea, Eric. Yes, sir. Good. You're the man. You're brilliant. Yes, sir. Yeah. Pat you on the back. Stuff like that. Uh, this was not a time of the booking committee. I know I've taken a lot of heat about the term booking committee, but I want to talk to you about that a little bit uh, during the course of the show uh, because I talked to someone this week that agreed with me that there was a booking committee and he was on it. This is uh, Virgil Riley Runnels uh, booking at this time. Uh, and, uh, of course he's going to have his son coming up in the, in the event. Uh, and we are going to see a lot of great shit going down and there's going to be a Pritchard in this event as well, too. Thank God it's not brother love, but it's going to be Dr. Tom. We'll see him later on. Now it's time. The pre Hollywood blondes, uh, it's going to be before they call themselves the Hollywood blondes, Brian Pillman. And of course, one of the greatest stars of all time. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was stunning Steve Austin at that time. Look at this stupid fucking vest that Steve Austin's wearing here. This is a guy who's who had like the most badass gear ever in his WWF run, but right here, it looks yeah. like he's trying out for uh, a role at Disney for Fantasia with Mickey Mouse. <laughs> exactly. And then he has the reveal underneath the robe. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, boy, that's all I said. And oh my God, look at here's this here. <laughs> WCW's Rookie of the Year, uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell teaming up with Eric Watts. God bless Eric Watts. Uh, he, but he, the WCW even after Bill was gone, still used him uh, because he was a good guy and he worked pretty hard. And he was stuck into a very, very tough role, don't you think? Because he was pushed, and I and everybody understands why he was pushed because of his father. But if you're the one being pushed, you're going to take the job, right? You're not going to go to your dad and say, hey, don't don't give me that push now. I don't want any money. You know, here's what's weird, too, is is it sort of interesting to see how, you know, the booker son, so to speak, can be booked and be passable or great or awful. You know, you yeah. look at a guy like Dustin Rhodes when his dad had the book. He wasn't as universally hated as Eric Watts, quite the opposite. Yeah. And, and the same with Shane McMahon. Now, of course, Shane, you know, never tried to do any world title runs or anything like that, but Shane, you know, had a couple of, uh, mid card belts and had really spectacular showings for the WWF when you weren't watching, but still, it, and then you see a guy like Eric Watson and it almost feels like Eric Watts all these years later has become the stereotype of what you think of a promoter's son. Sure. And, uh, if you're uh, if you're watching here, if you got the sound down, uh, we certainly appreciate you watching along. Uh, do us a favor though, uh, re-rack this a little bit later on, and watch and listen to some of this match, and you're going to hear the fans in Asheville, North Carolina. Now we're we're not talking about a town like Philadelphia or up in the Northeast, New York, Boston, somewhere like that, uh, where the fans are maybe a little bit rowdier. But you're going to hear when the tag is made, Eric Watts, the fans boo. The fans boo lustily. They do not want to see Eric Watts in, and they're booing him because, I, I guess, because they were 
tired of having Eric Watts stuffed down their throat. And again, the changes here is is gone by now. Eric Bischoff's running things, uh, but uh, Eric Watts is still wrestling, but he still gets booed, which I, I felt sorry for the guy at that time. Let's talk about Ron Simmons right here, because at the top of the show, Ron Simmons was announced as not being able to participate in his United States title match against uh, Dustin Rhodes. And the rumor and innuendo in the dirt sheets is that he's been in the doghouse a little bit with Bill Watts. Uh, allegedly, uh, Simmons was fined $2,000 for missing Charlotte and Philadelphia shots. And it started to feel like his future with WCW was in question because his contract was coming due any time now. Do you remember there being some, uh, concern as to, Hey, what are we going to do with this guy? His contract's up. He's missing dates. And do you remember why he wasn't on this show specifically? Well, I, I don't remember why he wasn't on this show specifically. We had thought that it was because he was in the doghouse. But then again, there was a kind of a changeover here uh, in, the, in the guard, with the exception of Dusty Rhodes was the booker during the Bill Watts era. Uh, and now he's the booker as Eric Bischoff begins his run as the boss of WCW. So I remember him being the doghouse and us just thinking that, again, he's just kind of in the doghouse. You know, uh, what, after 1992, starting the, this year, you know, he was kind of uh, pushed back to a mid-card guy. You know, he was a world champion during the Watts era, but now he's kind of a, a mid-card guy. And uh, it's a fact of just, yeah, uh, missing shows, being in the doghouse. And, uh, well, part of the, the frustration with Watts, and I think maybe the reason the bloom was off the rose, according to Meltzer, is that the title change where Vader beat Ron Simmons for the world title was supposed to happen on December 29th in Philadelphia, but Simmons missed the show. And this is yeah. after Watts was there and a camera crew to film the title change that never took place. So they find him and uh, he dropped it the next day. Either way though, it's not, um, it's not the ending for Ron Simmons and WCW that you would hope for because I think a lot of people looked at his title run as maybe a real opportunity to sort of change the way black wrestlers were handled in the United States. That's the way it was. Now you go back and you think about this, that, uh, people say that he was put in that position because Bill Watts was very savvy and Bill Watts made a lot of money with junkyard dog on top and, uh, back in the old mid South days. But I thought Ron Simmons had the look, uh, and, came across as legitimate tough guy. Now, you know, JJR would say uh, ad nauseum that he's a four-time All-American in Florida State, and he was. He was a badass uh, and probably still is to this day, even though he's probably pushing 60 right now. Uh, I, I thought it was good. I thought Ron Simmons as the world heavyweight champion could mean something, but if you're not dependable, and he at that time was not dependable, that when, once, you, once you get that moniker that you're not dependable, that's really going to, that's going to kind of stay with you and hurt you. And, and it hurt him here. One of the things that happened around this time that I feel like a lot of people have maybe missed, and we won't see it on this show, but I'm going to challenge you to go look for it is the angle where Eric Watts put Arn Anderson in an STF during a brawl yeah. at a gas station on TV. And these guys are doing, doing submission moves on each other at a gas station wearing Zubaz pants. <laughs> yeah. This is so 80s wrestling. It's great stuff. Yeah. But Meltzer would be sort of critical of that 
and saying sure that it's would. not so much that it was bad. It's just that it was the wrong guy. And you yeah. sort of hear that sort of talk a lot about Eric Watts. Why do you think Eric Watts had so much heat with the fans, with the dirt sheet riders? And did that carry over to the boys as well? Of course it carried over to the boys, not to all the boys though. Right. Uh, uh, but yes, a lot of the, a lot of the big stars, you know, when you're a big star at this time and Bill Watts is pushing his son, you immediately are thinking, well, this son of a bitch go take my spot. And they were very protective of their spot, thus their paycheck. So he did have some heat. Uh, you know, they used the, they, they made sure that the STF, which was a badass move known in Japan was going to be given to Eric Watts. He was given all the, all the chances to, to prosper. Uh, and Eric just, I've, I liked Eric. I, and I've mentioned this before. Gosh, I went to the university of Louisville and did a thing with him. Uh, and, uh, but he just didn't have the personality to carry the torch that he was given by his father. Uh, so he had a lot of heat. I suspect that he got a lot of heat on the dirt, in the dirt sheets because whoever was feeding Dave Meltzer was not a fan. It, was not a fan of Eric Watts at that time. Let me ask you so, this. Was there some sort of edict about how to handle that? Because there's commentary on this match where Jesse says something like, why do they boo him every time he gets in the ring? And then you yeah. sort of try to spin it to say, are you sure it's booing or is it wooing? Yeah, no, uh, there was no edict. That's just me trying to, uh, not put heat on baby faces. Yeah. That, right, that's, that, right. that's just me trying to do my job. That's all that was. There was no edict at all. Uh, I mean, I, I could have said legitimately, well, they're booing him because they don't like the push he's getting because his daddy ran the company, Jesse, <laughs> but I'm trying to just, I'm trying to do, deflect the heat that he had. Uh, but they, he was booed every time, but interesting enough that he would get booed and then he would do a high spot or two and they would cheer it. Right. So I don't know what this was all about, but, uh, the fact is it doesn't take away from the fact that damn, uh, Austin and Pillman were great. God no, they my. really were. And I feel like yeah. we should mention around this time, the dirt sheets would say that these guys were having three and four star matches with Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas, who are your tag champions. And about a month after this on the March 27th edition of power hour, we're going to see the Hollywood blinds beat steamboat and Douglas to become the tag team champs. So they're on their way up here for sure. And, and what we're talking over here is a match that Wade Keller gave two stars and he specifically complimented, uh, your performance and chemistry with Jesse Ventura. What'd you think of this opening match? Uh, I thought it was great. I appreciate the uh, compliments of, of, of Wade Keller. I thought Wade was kind of like Meltzer and all the other guys didn't like me. And, um, you know, I mentioned this before, Conrad, Jesse and I, I thought had chemistry because we genuinely liked each other. And I don't know if it's well known or not. I think we've mentioned it before. JR and, and Jesse did not get along. Uh, so I always thought that I had better, better chemistry with Jesse because I legitimately was a fan of his and liked his stuff and, and liked him being the bad guy. So, um, and of course, it's easy to start out a match. You got Jesse Ventura, your color guy, and you got these guys who can work in the ring. You got Bagwell, who looks good. And of course, you've got uh, Eric Watts, who's doing a very good job of selling right here. And you have a very, very rabid crowd here at Super Brawl. And with the exception of a shitty video <laughs> that's going to tie this whole thing together, uh, you got a hell of a card here and a lot of stars. 
Think of the stars, WCW, the talent that WCW has at this time. Dude, Here's the it, STF. It's amazing when you think about it that your first yeah. match has Brian Pillman, has Steve Austin, has Cowboys for Angels, and Eric Watts. You know, that's <laughs> a lot of marquee talent. I mean, some of the biggest stars in the history of the business, especially ones that you can get to your house for only $600 an hour. <laughs> is that what it is? $600 an hour? I don't know. I'm just freestyling. Hey, by the way, I was watching Vice last week yeah. and, um, someone mentioned they did like a little thing where they hired a gigolo on mm-hmm. cowboys for angels.com. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? It makes me wonder like is vice. Li- I mean, we've given them more publicity than they've <laughs> they ever need. had before. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Maybe they maybe you were saying maybe they're listening to our podcast. I'm saying we should have a promo code for Cowboys for Angels. They should be an official sponsor. And what would you the know, promo I'll, code I'll, be? Button? I want to I want to leave that shit alone, okay? Cuz I know what you've done with me what? in there and I'm leaving it alone, all right? Well, that wedding's paid for. Fucking you're welcome. <laughs> hey, I do need to say it's if it, we still got a little bit more to pay for and not a dime from uh Angels and Cowboys and shit eels <laughs> went to the wedding. Good God. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> no, not even yet. Jeez. Why do we Get not have the... a t-shirt for that yet? We need to have a t-shirt no, for that. No, we I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be at the reception. Someone's gonna say, Hey, how much gigoloing did you do to pay for this reception? I'm gonna say it, motherfucking Conrad. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Wouldn't be the first oh, time. right on the head. That's what I feel like doing to you sometimes, stomping you right on the head. As you try to climb back into the ring, but I love you too much, Conrad. I appreciate uh, that. Uh, uh, let's say here uh, a little thing about, and I think we should. Oh, right on the right on the map. Uh, let's say a little thing here about, and we're not focusing on him right now, but we will here in a minute of how good. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm going here after what we just said. How good Marcus Alexander Bagwell looked. What? What? I mean, he was good looking. He was rookie of the year. I mean, he had the great smile. I'm so glad you keep saying that. I feel like Marcus Alexander Bagwell was fucking rookie of the year for about three and a half years in WCW. (laughs) It's like wrestling dog years, right? It's like rookie of the year for three and a half years. Do you know the first time I remember here he comes the rookie of the year, get his ass out of there. Uh, you get your ass out of there, Marcus. I'm the referee. Uh, the first time I remember the term rookie of the year as a wrestling fan was back in the eighties with Jim Crockett promotion, early eighties, maybe late seventies, Jim Crockett promotions as they brought in the NWA's rookie of the year from Vero beach, Florida, Terry Taylor. <laughs> it's like a kiss of death in the wrestling business. Isn't <laughs> That's not? right. And after that, they said, we don't want any more rookies of the year on our, and they brought Terry in and he did a match, had a very good match, and they Bob Cottle talked to him, and you know what? That was the best promo he's ever done in his life. He went down the shitter from there, as promos are concerned, and, and that's just my opinion. Hey, let me ask a question. This uh, referee here, uh, when did you guys snag Randy Owen from the country music group <laughs> Alabama? Because this is definitely is him. Yeah. I always thought that was Groucho's son with that big honker. Of his, yeah. Uh, but uh, Mike Atkins had been around for quite a while, and of course, uh, I, I, I look at this motherfucker's hair. This referee's hair, you know, yeah. I can tell a lot from looking at him. First of all, he's got a Travis Tripp cassette tape in his <laughs> okay. tape deck right now. 
I'm not talking about as we're watching this in 93. I mean, now in 2018. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, uh, He's been to Brooks and Dunn concerts. Okay, I'm yes, sure of it. Yeah. Well, you know what they say? Only in America. Oh, down in the back of the head of Eric Watts. See, I, Eric was a was was an okay performer. He was not a bad performer. Uh, he he wasn't good as far as promos are concerned. Wasn't a bad performer. He's taking a and, hell of an ass whooping in this match. They are just yeah, beating the right, tar on exactly. Him. You got to be able to sell. I I say that so much. And I know the sport has passed me by. I get it. It has passed me by. But uh, let me give you a perfect example as uh, Pillman is getting ready to go up top here. And Pillman a long way to go here. But look at this great double team. I mean, these these kids could really, really go. Uh, Let me tell you how I know. Oh, he got the knees up. He got the knees up. Make the tag. Uh, I was, uh, it just, that shit kind of flies out on me now and then. Uh, go, was... Marcus, go! Go, Marcus, go! Go, Marcus, go! <laughs> He's going to make the tag. He's reaching. He's selling. Here comes... Uh, yeah. Call Stone Cold fucking Senso! Belly to back. Um, I'll tell you how this sport has passed me by. And, and I would like to our listeners to also comment on this, if you would, on our, on our uh, Twitter page, at WHW Monday. Watch recently Raw, and I watch a qualifying match for the uh, the chamber. What's the chamber they call the uh, the elimination chamber? The elimination chamber, which I understand was an Eric Bischoff idea. Uh, it wasn't. And, it wasn't. Just so you know, that's that's just wasn't? wrestling. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was kind of trying to give the guy some credit. So anyway, so I'm watching this, and I'm watching uh, a Bray Wyatt take on Roman Reigns. And Bray Wyatt put on his finishing hold. Hot tag! Hold. Hot tag! <laughs> and Bray Wyatt. I, I put on his finishing hold. I'm sorry. My, my attention is now towards Marcus Alexander Bagwell. And you can get him for only 600 bucks per half hour. And he's fired up. All right. Bray Wyatt. <laughs> Bray Wyatt puts his finishing hold, Sister Abigail, on Roman Reigns, right? His finishing hold, and Roman Reigns kicks out of it. And I remember thinking, what the fuck is going on with the business these days? One, two, you never kicked out of a guy's finishing hold back in the old days, Conrad. You know that because it made it mean nothing. And now it means nothing because they're kicking out of it. So I just don't get it. And that is telling me that the wrestling business has obviously passed me by. If you feel the same way, go ahead and send us a tweet at WHW Monday. And be sure to catch Tony calling all the action for MLW at MLW.tv. <laughs> yes, sir, buddy. Uh, there's a lot of shit that, that goes on there that I don't understand. And there's the one, two, three. And yeah, I was surprised. Pillman uh, gets the pin. Yes, sir. I was surprised that uh, Watts did not do the job here. But again, a great way to open up the show because this was a, a fine tag team match. Uh, and we're going to go back and take a look. At the replay once again, as you can see, holding on to the midsection, one, two, well, we didn't see shit. We just saw the pin. We didn't see how it happened. Good job on the replay, dickheads. And your winners. <laughs> <laughs> and your winners are Brian Pillman and Stunning Steve, soon to be the best, biggest star in the business, Stone Cold Steve Austin. We're hey. coming to you, by the way, from the seat. This is from... This is uh, James Bond, and on Her Majesty's Secret Service, went to see Blofeld in a in a uh, helicopter up into the 
the Alps. So this is very James Bondish to me. Very That's fucking Matt stupid. Secret, sir. It's the White Castle <laughs> of Fear. Speaking of stupid, here's Eric Bischoff with yeah. uh, Cruise Director Mero. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, notice how he's got his hands on his hips. His fingers are pointing at his joint. What's, he, sure what's you... he saying right now, Tony? Okay, uh, Johnny, I just wanted to say that uh, does anyone like you get pussy? Do I get pussy? Woo! Eric Bischoff, do I get pussy? Well, uh, if, if you can't, do me a favor and give me some numbers of the girls because I would like to get them to the gold club. Oh, speaking oh of that, let, let's go to Missy. <laughs> uh, Missy has put her credentials on her boob. Uh, out, Mr. Flair, Mr. Flair, and she's uh, and the now the security says, "Who's the fuck is this girl?" And Doug Dellinger says, "This is Missy Hyatt. I'll take care of her." Missus, I'm going to get an interview. I'm going to get an interview. Give me that. Oh, ooh. see, I I applied for that job. Uh, the the pat, pat down. Her, yeah, uh, to pat her down, uh, but I was denied the job. Uh, that that kind of looked like a a silly. <laughs> Oh God. And here he comes now again. Uh, nice job. Dickheads flair comes out, go back and listen to it. The sound in the arena potted down. Yeah. Should have been up. Should have been up for the big pop. Yep. Yeah. And of course, you know, the rumors were that flair was coming back and, you know, Jesse made a point that for the first time that he and Ric Flair are together in an event, which I thought was very cool. And later on, I'm going to be doing commentary with Jesse Ventura on one side and Ric Flair on the other. And I remember at that time thinking that my life was complete, that absolutely my life was complete. And I go back and take a look at it. How cool is that to be a wrestling fan like I was and would have be able to do commentary with Jesse and the Nature Boy Ric Flair? That's still a lot of younger fans probably don't realize Jesse Ventura, when he came over to WCW, it helped legitimize WCW a little bit. He was one of the biggest stars in the business at the time, even though yes. he was just a commentator. Right. He had been on NBC and in a, in a key position for the WWF for a long time and carried himself like a star. So for him to be here, it really added some star power for WCW, did it not? It did. And uh, Kay Allen Fry, as we called him, or Kip Fry, was the man that brought him in which I thought was a great move. And I remember Kip saying that, you know, he said, I love, uh, he said, you and JR are such good announcers that I'm going to, you know, I'll have you work with Jesse some, and I'll have JR work with Jesse some. And I just was ex- so excited to have Jesse with us. I, I don't think that WCW fans realized at this time, uh, there you see a sign, Chris Benoit, the Canadian bad boy. I don't think WCW fans I think fans in Canada, or maybe even the fans that were following the dirt sheets, knew how great Chris Benoit was. The fans did not realize that. Uh, they're going to find out here. Uh, and watching this match, damn it, I go back to the same thing about selling. Benoit could do some spectacular things, but he could sell the shit out of your moves and make you seem spectacular. Old school stuff, Conrad, and everybody listening to what happened when, get out your pad and paper. Or uh, type this into your uh, word processor, okay? Another old school uh, tip from Tony Schiavone. If you sell and make your opponent look good, then when you win, you've beaten someone. All right? So just remember that. I'm kind of in an old school school mood here. I just, 
I'm not mad at it. I feel like we should okay. mention that this is indeed uh, Chris Benoit's WCW pay-per-view debut. Right. And it wins uh, the Observer Poll, or comes in second, rather, in the Observer Poll for best match of the night. Really good match, though, that Meltzer would say was pretty close to four stars. This is uh, a pretty big-time pay-per-view when you think about it. You know, we've got up top. Austin and Pillman. And now in your second match, you've got Chris Benoit's WCW debut against two cold Scorpio who had long been a dirt sheet favorite because of all the things that he could do athletically. Yeah. Benoit did some great things here. And of course, uh, two cold Scorpio. See everything that Benoit does is so crisp. Everything that Benoit does looks so legitimate, but the flip side of that is he can make you seem so great as the wrestler on the other end, and we'll be seeing that. I need to say something about the Asheville Civic Center, and as I'm prepping for this one, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to uh, go back in the archives in, in the, the eight, 1980s. Uh, one, uh, two, uh, we had, I don't know if you were ever familiar with the Rock and Roll Express's Super Summer Sizzler Tour of 1986. Yep. You ever heard of it? You ever, okay. I, I was, oddly enough, I was on that tour. It was a bus. And we've got uh, we had girls uh, right in on on TBS uh, and want to be a part of the the entourage. So let me explain. In '86, Crockett is doing peak business, and he yes, decides he for the first time, let's run two towns, let's run two crews, so like right. an A town and a B town. And the A town right. would be Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair, but the B town is an equally hot act that a lot of people maybe find hard to believe in hindsight. But man, the Rock and Roll Express, they were on the tippy top of the card every night on those B-Towns. Right. And we went to those B-Towns for an entire week. We had a group of, I'm going to say about eight to 10 girls with their moms or their dads come with us. And we rented this real nice bus and we went to every town, went to like uh, Florence, South Carolina. We went to Charlotte, North Carolina. We went to some other towns. We finished up the Rock and Roll Express Super Summer Sizzler Tour in Asheville on a Sunday afternoon, Ricky Morton sang a song that day, and we elected one girl uh, to become Miss Rock and Roll Express Super Summer Sizzler Tour. I, I remember talking to Ricky and Robert. I said, hey, how are we going to choose this girl? Because all the girls were great young ladies, uh, big fans, just so nice. Uh, and I was on the bus as a, <laughs> a chaperone. Uh, and I remember Ricky and Robert saying, I, I don't know, you, you decide. So I'm not going to fucking decide, dudes. You're the Rock and Roll Express. So no, you decide. So I wrote up this big letter, this big phony letter, and I went on stage and I said, this is from Ricky and Robert. We cannot decide who is going to win. We like all the girls, blah, blah, blah. So we're just going to have Tony Schiavone pull a name out of a hat. And that's how we chose the Rock and Roll Express uh, queen for the week. But... That's one of those events. Jimmy the Valuable was with us on all those events, too. That's one of those events that stays with you forever. It, it was, you know, we did a lot of shitty stuff, uh, but we, that was good. And I was in charge of the, the Rock and Roll Express Super Summer Sizzler Tour. I pulled out all the girls and uh, selected the girls myself, and uh, that was tremendous. And every time we go to Asheville, I remember that event. So, sorry, didn't really want to take away from this match, but uh, even when Ricky and Robert come out, we mentioned that. So I'm just curious. Um, mm, boy, what? <laughs> the lady who was chosen, did she get yeah. the hot tag? No, she did not. My God, they were kids. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
They were that, kids. That's only allowed in Tennessee, I think. So, uh, I guess we should she mention was- that we do have a hot tag express shirt coming uh-huh. to lowestrules.com. And you actually saw the prototype. Yes. What'd you think yeah. of our new hot tag express t-shirt? It, it's spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. One of my favorite ones, uh, that we've put out now recently, you know, along, I, I like the full arm dragon twist. That's full arm dragon twist, but the hot tag express, uh, it just, just looks good. The it design does. looks good. It's yeah. phenomenal. Really? I think full arm dragon twist, uh, hashtag NFLTG cat bath. Um, suckers got to know low key, big hog, Tommy young, easy way, hard way. I think you could put our shirt selection, evil, mean, and nasty. Damn. I'm good. Parker's jump rope Academy. I'm a Tom Zink guy. You could put these shirts up against anybody else's in the world. Don't you think? Oh yeah, I absolutely. I, I think these are, these are some of the best wrestling t-shirts out there. And I implore you as a wrestling fan. Not only to go to LoisRules.com and get one, and you may be saying, well, your wedding's paid for. No, no, it's not. The reception's paid for, okay? And I appreciate you being a part of it. But I implore you, if you get one, wear it to a WWE event. I see Bullet Club shirts at WWE events all the time. At the at, uh, at a recent Raw, I saw the American Nightmare Cody Rhodes shirt. So, yeah, get yourself a Lois Rules shirt from LoisRules.com and wear it at the WWE event, and let the fans know watching this that you appreciate what we do and you love the independent stuff that's going on because we're independent, aren't we? Oh, and a dropkick by Scorpio. I think you're actually getting over a little bit, Tony, because if you go to the main page of ProWrestlingTees.com, you and Bruce are now featured on the main page alongside the likes of Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, and Bruce Pritchard. Hmm, Bruce Pritchard. Well, that's, that's good news. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. And, uh, because we've been doing this for just a little bit over a year. Uh, and thanks to everybody. I'm still behind on my calls, but I'm still making the calls. As you know, if you decide not to pick up the phone, when you see a uh, number not available, uh, you're going to miss my call and I will leave you a message. And that is that. So pick up a shirt, man. Uh, they're on the low over at lowestrules.com. Whenever you do so, you actually get a phone call. From the greatest announcer of all time, Mr. Tony Schiavone, Tony, this show that we're covering here today, super brawl three is pretty well universally loved. Uh, even in the observer, it got nearly a hundred percent thumbs up on this one over 90% and 6,200 folks paid a $55,000 gate, but the buy rate is not a home run. Only 0.5 is the buy rate. So roughly $980,000 in pay-per-view revenue. And it would be written, the buy rate would be, at best, the third lowest of any major promotion pay-per-view event, slightly ahead of the 92 Beach Blast and Great American Bash during the period when WCW tried running three pay-per-view shows in a nine-week period. At worst, it would be the lowest buy rate ever for a major WCW pay-per-view event. So it's on the bottom tier which is kind of shocking considering there's so much good stuff here. What is it about the business at the time that you think your buy rate and your pay-per-view interest here is down? Well, it's one of those things we talk about the business being cyclical and look, uh, Eric Bischoff taking over right now was taking over. And now we were trying to move into a different direction from what Bill Watts had and what Bill Watts tried to do. And listen, I understand what Bill Watts was trying to do and I get it. Uh, but 
this pay-per-view is great. You may look at this pay-per-view and say, God, it was such a great pay-per-view. Why was the buy rate so low? The buy rate was so low was was low because of the buildup to it. Right. Not because of the event itself. Sure. But you would think that the word of the mouth and that this one was so good it would help it would help uh, business and, and help things uh, leading after that. But the fact is, we didn't we didn't start doing good buy rates on pay-per-views until Hogan came a year later. So that's the fact on that. Benoit just, boy, looking so young here, and uh, and he and Scorpio having a great match. They really are. Um, this match gets um, a three-and-a-half-star rating from Wade Keller, and they're going to go an actual 1846 in mm-hmm. the match, but it's going to be announced at 1959, and that'll make sense in a minute. Something else that made sense is that you guys needed a new television champion because Scott Steiner, I mean, Ham Cube, had mm-hmm. just left, uh, he and his brother school board, um, mm-hmm. they had just left WCW to go to the WWF. So because he was the TV champ, they've got to find a new television champion. So they yep. do a tournament mm-hmm. with lots of guys. Um, Buff Bagwell's in there. Robbie V, who will go on to be RVD. Shanghai Pierce, who will go on to be Phineas Godwin. Vinny Vegas, who would be Diesel. Kevin Nash. They're all in here. Johnny B. Bad, Barbarian, Lord Steven Regal, Cactus Jack, Z-Man, Too Cold Scorpio, Paul Orndorff. Good but God. It's, but it's going to come down to a main event. Uh, the, the finals will be Paul Orndorff beating Eric Watts to become TV champion. With all that talent, Eric Watts getting to the finals feels like yep. something people would have had a word shit. about. Yeah, shit on, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like roll your eyes at like what the fuck. It's kind of like in a, in a minor way, Dusty Rhodes winning the bunkhouse stampede. Yeah, yeah. So people roll their eyes about. But you know, you were the list that you were bringing up there. My God, what talent! Jeez, it's ridiculous. And, yeah, and it really is. And that's what this show is here, though. I mean, loaded with talent. I think I mentioned a minute ago, over ninety percent. The Observer Reader poll got four hundred and fifty nine thumbs up, one thumbs down. And only 22 thumbs in the middle. So 95.2% of the fans who watched this and gave Meltzer their feedback, gave this show a thumbs up and I would give it a thumbs up too, Tony. Oh, absolutely. I would give it two big thumbs up. Uh, if by the way, you remember this event and you were on the poll and you were the one person, the one person out there that gave it a thumbs down, feel confident and comfortable that you are an idiot the rest of your fucking life. Because this, if you didn't like this event, you, you don't like what, what we were doing. I, I, I thought here, a lot of good things. I thought we were markedly different than the WWF back then. Uh, and I thought it was good. But it still was not as mainstream as WWF. The only mainstream thing we had at this time was Jesse the Body Ventura. Uh, and he was as good as they come. And there's just uh, there's a lot of change the winds of change man they're all through wcw here and sure one of those big things that's changing is is bill watts resigning as vice president of wrestling operations for wcw and it happened about 11 days prior to this pay-per-view and then all the wcw department heads had a meeting on the 12th and it was announced there that ole anderson is going to be taking over eric watts position and eric bischoff is named the executive producer of all WCW television. And the rumor and innuendo is that, uh, 
and we're, we got a lot to talk about with all that. Okay. But I think you've mentioned before that you actually put in for the gig. Jim yes, Ross put in for the gig and Eric Bischoff put in for the gig. Is that right? And Keith Mitchell did too. So carry us through when you first hear of Watts leaving, um, and what that protocol looks like for the change for the next several days until Bischoff gets the nod. Well, I, I'm going to go back and say that, uh, that I'm going to dispute one of these claims and I may be wrong. I don't think Jr. put in for the gig. Okay. Because, uh, Bill Shaw was running the company that time and Bill Shaw did not like Jr. at all. Uh, so he wasn't even going to consider anything from Jim Ross. Uh, Jim Ross has been very, you know, very upfront talking about Bill Shaw and how they didn't see eye to eye. I don't know why. I, I don't know the story behind that. So if I recall, it was me and Eric Bischoff and Keith Mitchell putting in. Eric and I became very friendly back then. And, and of course, Eric kind of worked under me because he was just an announcer and I was a producer and he did shows that I produced. Uh, Eric all, would always tell me of his ideas of the company and what he wanted to do and how he had this, this grand plan to really make this company mainstream. And I remember hearing this and thinking to myself, you know, this guy, this guy wants it. This guy sounds like he's, if given the chance, he'll do great things with this company. So regardless of what you've heard, I really didn't want it because I didn't think I didn't have the confidence. And you know, you know me well enough to know now about my lack of confidence in a lot of things. I didn't have, wow, look at that spot. And not only that, we're watching this belly to back suplex from the top. Look how Benoit is selling it as well. Just great stuff. I didn't think I didn't have the confidence to think that I could turn this around. I always thought that now, you know, I'd come back from the WWE uh, three years prior to this. And as you, as it, as there's a one and a two, and I just, uh, I didn't feel the company was able to, to make it. I, I thought that this company was going to go belly up. And I did not want to be on the reins, running the pulling the reins of the company when it was going to go belly up. So I didn't really want the job. Uh, and I know Keith Mitchell did, uh, and I knew Eric did, and I knew that Eric had a pretty good plan in place. So Bill Shaw got in touch with me and said he has heard from a number of guys wanting to run the company. Jr. may, may have been a part of that, but I don't think he was. Uh, and they have all given their proposals. He has not heard from me. Do do I want to be a part of this? And this I is said, Shaw yes. or do? No, it was Bill Shaw, not oh. Bob Do. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I, got, I always got along with Bill Shaw. And so I sat down in the, in the course of like three days and typed up a proposal that was maybe about three or four pages. And my heart wasn't in it, and I put it in. And then a couple of days later, uh, we were in the back in the production studio, and Eric Bischoff said, I got the job. And I hugged him, and he hugged me, and he and Lori and Lois and I went out to dinner that night. And I felt a sigh of relief that I was not given the reins of the company because I didn't think I'd do a good job. And I thought he would, and I was right. He did. He did a and phenomenal job. He did a phenomenal job. And as luck would have it, I had the best years of my life financially under Eric Bischoff because Bill Watts was going to cut my pay. Right. And I accepted the pay cut because I'm a team player. 
Uh, and it, it was a, quite a pay cut. And as soon as Eric Bischoff come in, Eric says, forget the pay cut. We're not giving you a pay cut. As a matter of fact, we're going to up your money the next three years. And I got a new contract under Eric and was making good money. So it was good for me and uh, good for the business. And that's the story. Didn't want it, but did apply for it. People say that Shivani was brokenhearted because he didn't get it. No, that's not, that is not the case at all. About a year prior to this, uh, Jack Petrick handed over to the, he's retiring and he hands over the reins of WCW to Bill Shaw and Bob do. And they take a more hands-on approach around this time because they actually break the company up into what they would call three categories, a pay-per-view division headed by yep. Sharon Sadello, mm. a television division headed by a yet unnamed individual, because that was JR's job and a wrestling product division headed by Bill Watts. So the executive producer job for television is really probably going to be the most powerful job in WCW. Right. And according to the dirt sheets, the folks who put in for the gig are Keith Mitchell, David Crockett, Tony Schiavone, uh, and Eric Bischoff. Okay. Did David Crockett have a pitch? Because that's something we've not really talked about before. If he did, he did not let me know that I was unaware of that. Uh, Keith Mitchell let me know it, uh, and uh, and of course Eric did because we talked a lot. But I don't. I'm sure David did. Yeah, I'm sure he did because David really, you know, uh, David was a hardworking guy. I just I'm not so sure he would have fit well in that spot. And not only that, uh, I have a feeling that because of his last name being Crockett, right? That Turner didn't want any Crockett kind of running things anymore. So prior to that, uh, prior to Bill Watts, uh, and when Kip Fry was running the company, uh, how about this finish? Arguably one of the best finishes ever. It comes down right at the very end at 1959. They're doing a, a countdown and, uh, I really enjoyed this over the loudspeaker, the PA they're counting down the seconds and it happens. The one, two, three does at 1959. Now, of course, as we said a minute ago, it's not actually 1959, but they nailed it with what the announcer was saying on the air. Right. And we're seeing some tremendous replays here. Of course, we talked over a really nice match here. Uh, we don't really cover a lot of Chris Benoit stuff favorably, but it's hard to argue that the motherfucker knew how to have a good match. He was, he was spectacular. As a matter of fact, uh, he and, uh, the, the guys who, who came out of Calgary all were spectacular in their own way, different ways as well. Anyway, back at the Kip, the Kip, uh, the Kip Fry era, uh, for Jimmy Crockett worked in the front office during Kip Fry, as we see Eric Bischoff on camera now, and let's see what he's talking about here. Hmm. I don't know, but it's boring the hell out of me right now. So I'll, I'll tell you this story. So, uh, and uh, well, we're Gordon back, going back to Gordon Soley. Thank God we were still using Gordon Soley, and we never used him, I, I think, correctly or enough. There was a feeling that, you know, he's old. Uh, I never thought that. Now, I, and I'm, maybe I'm saying that because I'm old now. But, oh, speaking of old, there's, pull out and there's Michael Hayes uh, before he was sucking on an air, air hose. And Eric Bischoff is going to talk to Max Payne. I thought it was funny. Eric was... Eric was going on and going on and going on. I remember thinking, boy, Eric, this is a big introduction. And Max Payne finally said, are you going to let me fucking talk? 
which I thought was very funny. Um, anyway, uh, so Kip Allen Fry, K, uh, Kip Fry, uh, Jimmy Crockett was in our front office, and Jimmy was I, – I don't know what was going on with Jimmy, but he was, he was, he was pissing off everybody, and he was shouting at everybody, and he was making enemies, and he called me into his office one day and gave me – and he and I came up with this idea about uh, local markets. So I came up with a, uh, an email based on our discussion – and he said, I did not say that. And he was raising hell with me. And I went to see Kip. And I said, Kip, what's wrong with Jimmy Crockett? He is making enemies in this office. He's shouting at everybody. He's going nuts. And Kip said, don't worry about him. I'm getting rid of him. And they sent Jimmy back to Dallas. And he never worked in the front office again. I give you that front story because uh, I think that gave the Crockett's a bad name in Turner Broadcasting the way that Jimmy was acting at that time. Mm. Don't know why, you know, Jimmy and I have, I, I wouldn't, I, w- I would say that Jimmy and I have mended things, but that's not the case because we really didn't have a problem. Uh, but uh, that was uh, anybody who worked in the front office knew that Jimmy Crockett for some reason was on a war path. Maybe he was mad because Kip was given the job of the boss and he wanted it. And that was his reaction. I'm not so sure, but. Doesn't this guy look like kind of like a, a uh, Matt Coon with long hair? Matt's a lot fatter than that, but uh, when I see a guitar, I think about Matt Coon. No, here's the thing, though. I've only ever seen Matt Coon lip sync, and I've actually seen Max Payne actually play instruments, you know? Uh, okay, I got it. I got it. So the uh, the music school's kind of like... Uh, it's a gimmick. Again, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's it's as real as wrestling. You know, <laughs> exactly. all right. It's uh, and here we got we got Wild Bill Irwin. This uh, this is the one part of the show that I didn't like, and I understand why they were doing this. Uh, but basically, what we got here is a job match. Yeah, it's an enhancement match. This belongs right. on Power Hour. Exactly, it did not belong on a pay per view. We did this to help get Davy Boy Smith over, and we didn't have to do get him over because you're going to hear from the response here that he was over as hell. Uh, and uh, he did an interview at, with me afterwards. So why not give him, I don't know, somebody, somebody else. So he's in here, I guess we should mention because he was fired from W the WWF for getting, um, he had some, some situations with performance enhancing drugs and this situations. is situations it's mm. happening at a time when Vince just really can't afford that. So of course, WCW is like, come on in, uh, (laughs) we don't give a shit. Yeah. But what's interesting is uh, you guys have your very first steroid test about six days prior to this pay-per-view. What do you remember the reaction in the office and amongst the boys? Because at this point, the WWF has been doing it for a while and you guys are just now getting around to it. Are you doing it in response to bringing in a guy like Davey boy, who it's sort of common knowledge had just been let go for that. Maybe it's a situation where you think, Hey, if we're going to bring these guys in, we at least got to make it look legit and say, we've got a policy too. I don't think Davey boy was the reason behind that. Uh, You could say that maybe that was part of it, but I think the reason was the fact that they were doing it and we were now in an era where, uh, we had to be concerned about that. So we had to go ahead with our legal department and come up with a scheme or I'm sorry, uh, come up with a, uh, a policy. Look, 
Conrad, there are so many ways back then. I don't know how it is now, uh, but there were so many ways back then that you could get a clean test. Right. You know, it was a gimmick. You could have someone pee for you. Did you ever um, see any guys or hear any guys talk about using the fake dicks to pee? No, I never heard of fake dicks. Yeah, it's like a whizinator or something. It's like uh, something you keep in your pocket so you can make it look like you're peeing, but you're really not and somebody else's pee. Really? Yeah. Well, now, 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 wait a minute. You would need one of those because apparently someone would be in the stall with you watching you pull your dick out, right? Yeah, but it looks like a Peter. Okay. But isn't that kind of, isn't that kind of creepy? What to you to put a fake penis in your pants? No, to have to, to have to have someone watch you pee. Well, it is, but I mean, how else, how else can you, you know, guarantee they're not cheating? Well, there was, you know, and, and there were also things you could take to mask it too. Right. I think that was well known back then. So. You know, it, it was, uh, it was, it was empty testing as far as I was concerned. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, there, I, I don't think, uh, you I don't think there were a lot of guys that looked at Davey Boy Smith and went, eh, how did he pass the fucking test? Because there were a lot of guys on the gas probably as well thinking, wow, if he can pass it, we're all cool. That's true. So. I mean, I believe that's the deal. You know, I just realized as we were talking about the Wizenator, that could have been Klondike Bill's gimmick, right? <laughs> Instead of the Terminator mean, could have been the Wizenator. Believe you me, he would probably collect Wizenators uh, and used a couple of them, two or three at one time, on oh, some of his friends. Okay. All right. There we go. Okay. Uh, around this time, uh, it was in Just the dirt say it. I mean, that's the way Klondike Bill would have probably approached that. He would have said, look, I've got a bag of Wizenators, Tony. And rub that beard. He said, you know, tonight, I think I'm going to take like four of them and find out where they all can go at one time. There's a hip toss out of the uh, right side. It came out around this time that your comic book, the WCW comic book that I believe Marvel was putting out was being discontinued. Hmm. Uh, did you collect those WCW comic books back in the day? I did. You did? Yeah. You still have them? I've got them somewhere. Um, wow. But yeah, I, it, it was, it was pretty cool back in the day for there to be a wrestling comic book. I was all about it. I, I did not see a one of those. You didn't see one ever? Never, never saw one of them. As a matter of fact, Conrad, there are some uh, there are some WCW uh, trading cards, collector trading cards. I never saw until I was out of the business. Really? Yeah. You just were paying. One... You were paying attention to shit, were you? No, not. I was not. I was just, you know, because I wasn't getting paid for anything back then. So why did I give a fuck? And not only that, it, this shows you exactly how disjointed. We were, if we had trading cards, if we had comic books, don't you think we would have promoted them on TV? And don't you think as an executive producer of TV that I would be told here's, you know, from the front office, this is what we need to promote on TV. I didn't know anything about it. We never promoted that shit. Why didn't we? So wait a minute. You didn't know there was a comic book until I just told you. Right. What the fuck? I didn't know anything about a comic book. I didn't know anything about trading cards. And now I see that there's a trading card of me at a front of a, some sort of a, of a building in Chicago, which was uh, back uh, was supposed to be the building where uh, I don't I don't remember, but also and then me and uh, Bobby Heenan on a trading card as well, and I, I never saw those, never saw them. So anyway, we're in the midst of a hell of a fight here, Conrad, and we're talking over it, aren't we? 
A well, hell of a enhanced my match. It's a fucking <laughs> wild Bill Irwin match, dude. <laughs> so it comes out in the dirt sheets around the same time that DDP's contract had expired and Bill Watts was offering him $300 a night with no guarantee as far as the number of dates. And DDP turns it down because there's no way of knowing how much you'll earn without at least a certain number of dates guaranteed. So he's out with an injury here, but the rumor is he's really just trying to train up to join Smoky Mountain. Of course, that doesn't happen. And the reason it doesn't happen is because Watts is out and Bischoff is in. Right. We just saw uh, your boy, Gordon Soley, just a minute ago. And, and it comes out in the dirt sheets here that since you're going to be doing more commentary, your up close and personals with Tony Schiavone are now going to be handled by Gordon Soley. And. Meltzer would write, unless this is to set Shivani up something for bigger and better, this is a bad move because Shivani was great handling those segments. And we haven't ever really talked about that up close and personal segment. How did that come to be? What were your favorite ones? What memories of that can you share with us? Conrad, I'm going to be very honest with you. I can make something up right now. All right. I can make something up, but I do not. Fuck. <laughs> I do not remember a fucking one of them. How many of them did I do? It doesn't matter. Suplex from bulldog. I don't remember. Them. I, I got it. Well, we're, we'll just remember this. Uh, he catches wild bill Irwin, like a sack of the shit hell? off the top rope, throws him over his shoulder, like a sack of potatoes and I down he goes shit. with a running power slam from the British bulldog. I should, but I don't, I mean, uh, up close and were they segments on TV? Yes. Well, we're going to have to find some of them on YouTube. It was, a w, it was a WCW Saturday night thing. Wow. That's cool. It's no big deal. Ooh, now we go in to the White Castle. Uh, Sting is going to go in to eat some White Castles, and we'll be back in just a moment. So, you know, what everybody's really here for, the most craptastic thing Oh, wait, here's a, here's an interview. Let's hear what the British bulldog has to say here, Tony. Okay. All right. Here he is. The British bulldog, Davy boy Smith in WCW. Welcome to WCW Davy boy. Uh, going to England. I'll catch my breath in a minute. I blew up coming to the ring, but Tony Schiavone. I'm here for one reason, to become the world champion. And, of course, you dumbasses have no idea who a world champion is because you have two of them. You have a WCW champ and an NWA champ. But I'm here to tell you that regardless of any type of testing that they're putting in place right now, I'll pee in anybody's cup. I will use a Wizinator, and then I will give it to Klondike Bill to use later. The British Bulldog is here. <sighs> Talked to Steve Regal one time, and he was wrestling Davy Boy Smith, and Davy Boy had blown up sky high. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he made a cover, and and he said uh, Davy Boy he said kick out, and Davy Boy said I'm fucked, <laughs> which was his learn, oh, which was his term for being blown up. Uh, but man, he was a great performer. Davy Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid were they tremendous or what? Whew. How about 
Johnny B. Bad saying, oh, we're going to be mingling in England. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Missy playing the great part of, of the of the dumb broad. Uh, and now we're going to get into the midst of one ass kicking match here, man. What a great fucking shot this is. When I saw this this week, I thought, man, that's innovation right there. Yeah. So to was, catch you was, up, there's two entrances here. If you're not watching yeah. this with us. So yeah. there's one for heels and one for baby faces, I suppose. But mm-hmm. right here, they're doing a stand up with Paul Orndorff being interviewed by Eric Bischoff just on the other side of the curtain. So not in front of the fans, but behind it, but the curtain is more, how would you, it's almost like tinsel. Yeah, the, that's what it was. Yeah. So there's these long strands of tinsel. So you could actually see the ring set up and the fans and the lights in the background. And then all of a sudden cactus Jack runs out with a shovel and we're off to the races, but what a really cool television spot to do the promo right there where you could still see the background. I thought it was, a, I thought it was well done. Yeah, it was well done. Uh, and again, uh, you're, what you're seeing now is a little bit of a little part of, of Eric Bischoff, uh, TV. Uh, and look, here's one thing that, that Eric was good at. I always thought uh, he was good at, and of course, you know, things changed as we went on, but. Uh, and things did not work out well, but Eric was good at letting people who do TV really have an input into what was going on. Before then, we were a wrestling company, and basically wrestling guys had an input into the way TV looked, and now a lot of TV people like Keith Mitchell and Craig Leathers and myself had an input in the way TV looked. Unfortunately, there was also... Uh, people who liked the White Castle of Fear vignette uh, and the way that looked. And and that has to be a Turner Home Entertainment Sharon Sodello thing that we can talk about a little bit later on. But here's Cactus Jack uh, and and Paul Orndorff. If you haven't seen this match before, I want you to fire up your WWE Network because I want you to see a bump that Cactus Jack is about to set up here. We put over last week at the clash of the champions, 10, what I thought was one of the craziest fucking bumps ever. And it sort of was cactus Jack's coming out party because it's a network special. Uh, it's on cable TV. It's a big deal, but here he's going to do a bump. And this is again from February of 1993. So we're talking 25 years ago. That is just insane. He had been routinely doing elbows off the apron onto the floor. And, you know, you're putting all your weight, which he was billed at the time at 287 pounds on his hip, his shoulder, but he does a bump right here. That is the fucking craziest thing ever. I need you to call this for us, Tony. Cactus Jack up. He had tried the elbow. Paul Orndorff is on the floor. They've got the mats pulled back. Randy Anderson looking up in position. Here comes Cactus Jack. My God, he's trying to, I sunset that flip on the floor, on the concrete. Only got a two count. What the fuck? What the fuck is right? You know, if I'm Paul Orndorff, I'm going to let him lay there for a little bit. (laughs) You know, it's such a fucking crazy bump. And you guys even make the observation on camera that you say, you know, sometimes Cactus Jack's offense winds up hurting him more than it does his opponent. He does a sunset flip from the top rope to the floor with the mats pulled back. So we're talking about just diving head first off the fucking top rope onto the concrete to take a, a back bump. It's the craziest bump. I mean, I know we said this last week, but cactus Jack had no limits here. 
Yeah, and it wasn't even a good sunset flip because Paul didn't go over with him. He landed splat and then pulled Paul over. Paul's like, I'm not that fucking dumb. <laughs> you go ahead and take the, the brunt of this bump, not me on the concrete. Uh, but, uh, again, Paul was a tremendous performer. I mean, uh, you know, back before he had his uh, his neck problems and, and of course, you could see it on his uh, right arm how it had deteriorated. Uh, he was uh, he was one of the best of, of all time. I listen. Paul Orndorff uh, and Jimmy Snuka were one of the reasons, or two of the reasons, I started loving wrestling back in the in the late seventies when they were the NWA World Tag Team Champions. And here now, you know, we're many many years later, and I'm getting a chance to call one of these matches. And Paul became a trainer on the Power Plant. Uh, so why do you I've think had- Paul never had? a bigger run in WCW, you know, in the WWF a decade prior, even less than that, I guess, actually unbelievable bumps by cactus Jack here up and over the guardrail, almost guardrail surfing for a minute. And now two guardrails. Yeah. Orndorff still pushing the pace here. He worked like a top guy. You know, he had been in a feud with Hulk Hogan, um, did huge business with the WWF in 85, 86, 87. And then here he is now as he's going to be TV champion here in a couple of weeks, but still, why don't you think, I mean, it wasn't the promos. Was it the work? Was it the concern about his arm? What kept him back here? Well, Paul, you know, they, they used Paul as an agent. Uh, and, uh, so I think as an office personnel and an agent that Paul was kind of more like more valuable to that than being a top guy. I may, it could have been the age. How old was he right here? You know, that's the, that's a fun thing because I'm all, look at that bump again, I know, again, right over the top. Just, and, and cactus lived for that stuff. He absolutely lived for that stuff. And, you know, I saw him at WrestleMania last year and he could barely walk. And then I'm thinking to myself, I wonder fucking why, uh, because this had to just look at this. Paul just pulling on his air cactus. What cactus wanted to happen right there. I remember that spot. See, I can remember some things. Cactus was pulling, was holding on to the safety rail. He wanted Paul to pull him by the hair, and then the safety rail come down on top of him. But the safety rail was hooked to another one, wouldn't give. So Paul is 43 years old here, and he's eight okay. months younger than Ric Flair. Okay. So we could say it's age, but Flair's going to be the top guy. I mean, well, he is on this night. And I just, I've always been fascinated by it this Paul Orndorff WCW run, because it feels like strong promo, great look, good worker. He could have been a top heel, like a ravishing Rick rude. Right. He could have been in a, he could have been in a program with flair. Oh, absolutely. Flair coming back as a baby face. Absolutely. A little bit of roll <laughs> tight action in the front row there. That might be my long lost uh, cousin. I'm sure it is. <laughs> yeah, baby. And suspenders working too. Yeah, those suspenders, man. He was a fashion plate <laughs> in Tuscaloosa. Let me just tell you. This era of Cactus Jack, I think 93 might be my favorite year for Cactus Jack. Uh-huh. Yeah, this was right after the, this was a little bit after the amnesia spot, wasn't it? I think that's still to come. Is that still to come? I, I my, Of course, I get lost in the years, but I had a lot to do with that one. So he's of- taking the, um, we're really working over a body part here. Cactus Jack's been working with a knee brace this entire match. And, uh, they're telling a great story here because now Orndorff has taken the knee brace off and Cactus was fighting him to keep that knee brace on. 
but off it comes and Orndorf is still just beating the tar out of cactus Jack here. My God. When that happened, when that move right there happened, I thought he was going to really try to suplex him on the outside. Why not? He's taking every other fucking crazy bump. Why not just throw him outside? But he caught the uh, top rope and landed on the apron. Uh, I don't know. So or- I, I remember. Orndorff was on the inside of the row, just to give right. you a paint a word picture here. For those of you who aren't watching, Orndorff had a suplex position on cactus Jack in the corner and goes to suplex him, but there's nowhere for cactus to fall except to the outside. Right. And he manages to, uh, wind up in a standing position on the apron, but it certainly looked as if it was going to be pretty doomsday. And now goes the. The figure four, and this is, uh, again, telling a great story here. Uh, the uh, the braces off, uh, the knee, putting the pressure on the knee uh, on the figure four, and we even bring up the fact that maybe he's doing it because Ric Flair is here. We kind of bring Ric Flair into that a little bit. We're just kind of speculating. Again, we were, well, back then we were not, we, we really weren't produced that much. We did our own shit back then. Uh it's me and Jesse, and it's uh, I think Neil Pruitt is there beside us as well. But uh, that's another story. Meanwhile, this match still goes on. And it, it, the amazing thing here, Conrad, is that the bumps that Cactus Jack has taken and watch him still get up to his fucking feet. I, I'm not so sure Cactus Jack is selling here. I think he's legitimately just cannot walk. Right. So why not take another one? <laughs> Shut the fuck <laughs> I mean, Cactus Jack is just throwing himself every which way. Yeah. It's it's really, it's something to see, man. His commitment, I mean, unparalleled. Is that the right word, commitment? Well. <laughs> you needed to be committed. Yeah. I can tell you that. Jesus Christ. Now they're going to the knee again, which uh, based on all this stuff, that, that spot probably helping Cactus uh, rest a little bit because – I'm not so sure the knees as bad as the back is right now and the lower back and the spine and the coccyx. First time I've ever used the word coccyx. <laughs> in a, I heard you broke a coccyx or two. One. <laughs> no. For those of you who don't know, the coccyx is the best. Never mind. Everybody knows. Not everybody knows what a coccyx is. I bet you the guy with suspenders on the front row didn't know what coccyx was. Hey, let's talk about, uh, Paulie dangerously for a minute while we've got a second, he was fired about a month prior to this when WCW, uh, faxed, uh, him a letter and they're saying that they investigated his expense reports and it turned out that they'd been falsified from the Ramada hotel, Atlanta airport South. Uh, and he had apparently turned in fake receipts for April, May, June, and July of the prior year. And they had actually confirmed it with the Ramada hotel and some, something in this letter says something like it appears that you induced Ramada hotel to provide false information that you did stay at the hotel to support fraudulent expense reports and attempt to improper obtain improper payments of approximately $1,200. So they go out of their way to show that he's falsified some reports, allegedly 39 stays at this hotel, the Ramada for $1,162 and 50 cents. And, uh, he gets canned on the way out and he, this feels like something that everybody would have been talking about in the back. Am I right? 
Yeah, and uh, the talk in the back was, you know, we were back then in the midst of a of a Bill Watts, holy shit, right to the leg with that steel chair, uh, Bill Watts trying to cut uh, expenses. It it almost felt to many of us like, like this was a witch hunt, mm-hmm. looking for a reason to get rid of Paul E., uh, because, I mean, in, in reality, uh, if Paulie did have the Ramada Inn falsify documents uh, to uh, turn in uh, fake reports, watch this. I don't want to talk over this finish because this is a fucking barn burner here. He does his, of course, this is back when he was reminiscing of working with Hulk Hogan. He does his listening to the side. And then he's going to try to put his hands up here. I don't think it works too well. <laughs> oh, oh, cold cocked him. One, two, three, and it's over. So Cactus Jack wow. takes an ass kicking for what feels like forever, including tons of chair shots to the knee. Orndor starts teasing that he's going to pile drive Cactus Jack onto this chair. Mox Hulk Hogan in all four corners. Of course, Hogan's not in yet, but people know what he's mocking. As he's teasing for the pile driver, he turns around and bam, shovel to the head. And look at this replay of Cactus Jack taking a suplex on a guardrail. And then here's your yeah. shovel shot. What's it sound like, Tony? Well, whoop. Or whop. And I'm sorry to all my Italian friends I said that. And one, two, and three. Paul tried to put the hands up. I think it may have a little bit cut down the momentum, but but still, it was one wicked shot uh, with the shovel. Okay, back to the story. Uh, the, the thought was backstage that why why didn't they do a complete look at everybody? Right. If Paulie was doing it, then certainly if, if the Ramada was doing it, and we, the Ramada was a big place for the boys back then. If they were doing it for Paulie, they must have been doing it for somebody else, but nobody else was was caught, right? So we all thought it was just uh, a cooked up way to get rid of him. With all of his incentives and whatnot, it's believed right. that Dangerously was making more than $200,000 a year. He had signed a two-year contract with Kip Fry on April 1st of 1992, and he came in as a TBS employee rather than an independent contractor. And the difference being, if you're a TBS employee, all your medical expenses, your road expenses, promotional expenses, that's all paid for by the company. But if right. you're an independent contractor, you're just sort of left to figure it out on your own. So according to the rumor and innuendo, when Watts comes in and takes the reins of the company, he is not happy about this and feels like this is way too much money for WCW's bottom line. And it becomes something he wants to, you know, nip in the bud. Well, who's going right. to take a pay cut. So allegedly Bill Watts does some digging and figures out, Hey, here's our chance to get rid of Paul Lee. Is that the way you remember it? Yep. Exactly. All right. It's time for the heavenly bodies along with Bobby Eaton. There you see sweet stand. And there is the, the, the good looking one of the Pritchard family, uh, uh Dr. Tom. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, thumbs down, uh, you know, the, look, we're in Asheville, right? So right. we're in a, kind of a smoky mountain territory here in a way, uh, not too far from Knoxville, not too far from the, well, right at the base of the smoky mountains. Jim Cornette looking spectacular here, I might say. You know, he came up with this shit, man. Look at this. Uh, uh, Florida Gator orange and blue and Auburn pussy pink all together in one 
color and one shirt combination there. What talent you have in the ring too, when you've got Jim Cornette, Bobby Eaton, Stan Lane, Dr. Tom Pritchard, this is some old school Southern wrestling shit right here. Is it not? It is. And we're going to, oh, uh, they screwed up here because yeah. Stan Lane was going to enter, was going to introduce Cornette and they just went with the rock and roll express's music. Well, and what's great to me is they show a sign in the crowd that says rock and roll express. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. That's not for the rock and roll express because it says the rock and roll express. It said, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you've got, you've got to see it. It says they couldn't whip cream with an outboard motor. But, but the thing, the thing is, it's like, wait a minute, you're showing a sign that shits on the baby faces. Did you even read the fucking thing before you put it on TV? Apparently not. <laughs> Uh, well, the Midnight Express, the best tag team ever, uh, but uh, this is the Heavenly Bodies. Thank you very much. Uh, Ricky and Robert, again, this was, uh, and I had mentioned during the commentary, there you go. We found one. We love you, Rock and Roll Express. That's what I'm saying. So you got one shitting on the baby faces, and then the next yeah. one, we zoom in on the Midnight Express sign. It's like, they're not there. <laughs> yeah. It, again, I, I, I'm looking at this shit thinking, what, what am I doing back at this place? Uh Ricky and Robert, this was a stronghold of theirs. You know, I mentioned that. And uh, now they're trying to they're going to send Bobby out. And then we'll see Bobby get involved in the finish a little bit later on. <laughs> Bobby was so good. He played, he played the part so well, man. He just like. <laughs> you know, let me just first of all say, I've always loved and will always love the Rock and Roll Express. Not just uh -huh. their matches, but they're just great guys in real life. Yeah. But even by 93 here, their gimmick looked like it needed a little updating. Well, look, we're talking about, uh, from the super summer sizzler tour, we're talking about four five, six, seven years later in, in wrestling. You know, that, that, that makes you old. Well, um, you know, the thing is, I don't think it's necessarily the seven years. I think it's just the gear. I think the gear looks like it's from 85, 86, 87, maybe 88. But then after that, it's like. Maybe it's time for some new stuff, but yeah. I, I, I get the, I get the hesitation of, but it's working. Why would we change something that's working right now? Now, remember that, uh, that Ricky Morton, uh, became Richard Morton. Right. Uh, and so he kind of went through a heel phase there too. So now they just put that all behind him and do their, their rock and roll express shit here. Uh, uh, Ricky could do a lot of things. Look man. at that. Just hurricane Rana from a standing position. Ricky yeah. Morton criminally underrated. You know, we don't, we don't even give him enough credit here on this show. I feel like we should mention right now that Ricky Morton has a phenomenal podcast called the school of Morton. He's actually teaching young kids, the business in Tennessee. And I can't think of a lot of guys that I'd like to teach, you know, wrestling more than Ricky Morton. This dude knows about psychology and selling and tag teams. And he can teach you so much about how to get the crowd in the palm of your hand. Can he not? Yeah. It was well known to everyone, including Ric Flair back then that Ricky Morton was probably the best quote unquote seller in the business that no one could sell like Ricky Morton. And everybody wanted to work with him, be it in, in a tag team match or a singles match, because he would make you look great. And flair had a little run with Ricky Morton. They did a great American bash where they did the main event. So having Ricky Morton as your trainer, uh, to me would be spectacular. If Ricky can in fact, you know, in, in effect, uh, be able to relate to the young kids. And, and apparently he is being, being able to. 
it's also worth mentioning that, uh, on the other side of the ring is one of the most prolific trainers in the history of wrestling. Dr. Tom Pritchard, Dr. Tom taught a lot of the WWE superstars that, you know, and love today, uh, how to do their thing in professional wrestling. So it's sort of fun that you've got in either corner, two really prolific trainers. Yeah. You, you got to be able to communicate with young guys and uh, to be able to uh, make them into stars or help them on the way to stardom. And that's pretty obvious to what, that, what uh, Dr. Tom has been able to do uh, later in his career and Ricky Morton is doing now with the young kids. You know, it, it, it's, again, it's, it's, it's got to be able to communicate. I, I saw a quote the other day uh, from a basketball coach Frank Martin of South Carolina, he says, people talk about kids have changed these days. He said, kids have not changed. Kids are the same as they used to be. He said, we as adults have changed. We've changed the way we work with them. We changed the way we, we talk to them. We changed the way we communicate with them. Uh, and he's right. And it, it takes someone to be able to communicate with young kids to make them into the stars. And if I say, look at this pickup by Morton and an atomic drop and a great tag team maneuver that time. Uh, that's one of the things I'm loving about working with uh, MLW uh, and, you know, working with uh, now the road to the world championship and, and the TV shows that we're doing. We're working with young kids. We're in the formative years of their career. Uh, we're, we're seeing guys hopefully make it to the top. Uh, although independence getting so good now that you can probably stay in independence, but still be on top. Uh, and so that's what I love about working with these guys now being a part of their career. Look at this. Improvised that time. Kind of messed up that spot, but it still worked. That was going to be a double back body drop. And you see this coming. Woo! Savat kick and a cover and a two count, and Dr. Tom gets out. Are you awake over there, Gunray? Of course I am. All right, I just wanted to know. I Why saw you that do you your thing, me. man. <laughs> you want me to do my thing? No, I'm just letting you do your thing. We can oh, talk okay. about, I would like to talk about some rumor and innuendo though. Uh, it comes okay. out that, uh, Sid was released from the WWF in late January and everybody's sort of speculating that he's coming in here. Do you remember there being talks of him coming in? He does wind up finalizing a deal with Oli next month in March, but at this point, is it sort of a foregone conclusion? Sid's coming in. Yeah, because Oli really liked him. Uh, I mean, really liked his look and Ole could communicate with him. Uh, and, and we thought, you know, and if Ole is in charge of talent, which he was at this time that we, we were going to see Sid vicious in. Right. So I, I think that was kind of a foregone conclusion. Do you remember hearing about uh, WCW hiring booth Allen management consultants out of New York to try to help figure out a way to turn around some of the finances for the company? Uh, no, no, that was way above my pay grade. What about, uh, Andre, the giant, he had just passed away about a month prior to this and his last, uh, I guess stint on TV, maybe even his last TV appearance was clash of the champions 20. Yeah. And you've spent a little bit of time with Andre. Any other stories about Andre you'd like to share? Uh, the only story that I know is that you, you, you had to, and I didn't realize this, uh, until I started working the WWE, you had go, you had to go pay your respects to Andre. Uh, and uh, that's what everybody did because of uh, who Andre was. You know, he was bigger than life. 
He always had a gallon of wine with him or a bottle of wine that he drank in the clubhouse, in the locker room. And I remember looking at that and thinking, he's drinking in the locker room? And everybody said, yeah, well, that's Andre. He drinks all the time. Bobby used to say that he would sit in first class, and he was so big that he would pull the seat. You know, as they say, use your seat as a, as a uh, life raft if it goes down. He would take the seat out and throw it on the floor and sit in the seat without the, uh, without the bottom of the seat. He was so big. And uh, those are just the things I remember about Andre. And, and I do remember that the last event that he was on, you know, was our Clash of the Champions, which I thought was, was pretty cool. A couple of weeks uh, prior to this, it's in the Observer that Hulk Hogan uh, actually made the Atlanta paper, the uh, AJC, because he was in a restaurant at the bottom of CNN Center. And this Mm. gets people talking or wondering, hey, why is he here? Well, it turns out he's just there for a movie deal rather than a wrestling deal. But he did, of course, as we know, get Hulk Hogan in WCW. But when you see or hear that he's in CNN center, does that get everybody sort of stirring around? Yeah, of course it does. Listen, I knew, I knew from talking to Eric, even when he was lobbying to get the job, I knew that what he wanted more than anything else was to get Hulk Hogan in WCW. I knew that. So that got a lot of people talking. And when I heard about it, I thought, well, this is kind of, I don't know if it's Hulk Hogan doing things on his own, but this is kind of the first shot in thinking about Hogan is going to come to WCW. And of course he would come to WCW a little bit more than a year later. Um, but yeah, I, I knew what Eric wanted. I mean, I knew he always said to me, he said, I can, and I never knew what he was talking about. He said, I can offer Hulk Hogan the one thing, the one thing that Vince McMahon cannot offer him. And that's, that is going to be my Trump card, so to speak. Right. And that was full control of of his of his character, full control, final say. And of course, that ended up really. I don't know if that's uh, you can point to that as being one of the things that helped our downfall, right? <sighs> well, it sounded good at the time, so that's what he wanted. Here we're taking a look at the Asheville Civic Center, and we're in a, a fine tag team match. We had a great tag team match. To begin things, of course, with a stunning Steve and uh, and uh, Brian Pillman against uh, Watson Bagwell, uh, we have seen. Uh, gosh, we've seen Wild Bill and the British Bulldog, and uh, we even saw Cactus Jack and Mister Wonderful. Still to come, the White Castle of Fear. If you've never seen it, strap yourself in for it, buddy. Yeah, the the actual promo for the White Castle of Fear, the, the full it video sucks. is not on here, yeah. but. We are, we are going to have a spot for you to catch that. Um, the rock and roll express is putting on a hell of a match here with the heavenly yeah. bodies. Sure. They are. Was there any, um, any sort of resentment about Cornette having the ability to sort of bring his smoky mountain guys in here? No, I, 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 I there may have been with some of the guys, but the way I thought of it, and I think the way Eric thought of it and, and the way that, uh, and, of course, that would kind of change later. Uh, but we, we all thought at that time that, you know, if you can have an infusion of fresh talent, why not bring them in? Right. Uh, that was always that. That's one thing that Ole always preached. He said, talent gets stale. He said, pretty soon they're going to see every combination that you can have unless you bring somebody in new. And he would tell me that back in the old territory days, that would help things out. 
you would have a guy who'd been working for the AWA Minnesota and had quite a, a notoriety there, and then all of a sudden he would come to work for Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. He would get a two-year run there. And then somebody from world-class wrestling would come into Georgia Championship Wrestling and get a run there, and uh, and, and that's the way things stayed fresh. Uh, and then here we are in the 90s where you've got talent and you've got contracts and guys are going nowhere, uh, and things get stale. So uh, an infusion of, of talent, like from uh, Smoky Mountain, I always thought was good. And hell, shit, anything Jim Cornette did, I loved. So I, it, it had been me, I'd let Jim Cornette do anything he wanted. Wow, Ricky Morton with a double DDT off of the ropes. And the fans kind of getting in, in, into it here a little bit. It's not the heyday, as we mentioned, of Ricky and Robert, but you know, anytime Cornette's at ringside, he's going to play the heel and he's going to get fans fired up. And now Robert Gibson whipping in, sweet stand to the midsection, into the midsection of Dr. Tom, sending Pritchard in, and there's a back body drop. Oh, and a right hand on the side of the head. Look at Ricky still selling over on your left side as Robert Gibson, a hoot as they called him, uh, uh, speaking of whizinators, would uh, handle one guy and then the other. And uh, now we're getting, I think, very close to the finish here because Bobby Eaton's going to come in. You see, back body drop. Some old school Southern yep. wrestling here with the Rock Absolutely. and Roll Express. And, but it works, right? There's our double drop kick, and that is normally their finish. Yeah. But now there's no referee. The referee trying to get Ricky Morton out of the ring. The cornet comes in the hard wow. way. <laughs> oh, my God. And the fans love that, man. And now Pritchard Bulldogs, Robert Gibson. I love Cornette getting on the top rope to <laughs> get away. It's awesome. Yeah. And scampering out. And now here's a cover. The fans think this is the finish. It is not. Not yet. He kicked out of it. That's I like that. You see, because the referee's got his back turned. You got a cover. You turn over. You think for sure that's going to be the screw job finish. Sure. And it's not. And there he should have been a disqualification there. Referee didn't see it. Uh, and they're saying that they had pinned Ricky Morton. And now we are going to see an atomic drop, inverted atomic drop, I may add. And we're going to see Bobby Eaton come in. There he is. Oh, he hit the wrong man. And and there, that's that's a tough spot for the referee. He's not supposed to see Bobby Eaton in there. He turned, and there's the one, two, three. And Ricky and Robert get the win. He turned, the referee did, and Bobby was standing right there. And the crowd is happy that the Rock yes. and Roll Express is going home. Yeah. Your winner in a really fun match here. Yeah, absolutely. Say what you want to about, uh, you know, past their prime. Yes, they were. Uh, but a uh, little angle, a uh, little Smoky Mountain angle going on here, I guess. I used to own those uh, Bobby Eaton tights. I'm just realizing that. You used to own those Bobby Eaton tights? Yeah. You don't have them anymore? Did you sell them? Traded them this year. No, I traded them. Okay. Like trading cards, huh? There you see Bobby uh, hit the wrong man, grabs Ricky Morton, referee had turned around, and the one, two, three. Pretty so, fun so far, match, man. You know, we've yeah, had a yeah. lot of fun matches here. We're only about halfway through the show, but we've had really good wrestling. You know, as far as this is a time when on the other channel, there's lots of Gaga. There's more Gaga than wrestling. And as soon as I say that, of course, it's another promo from the fucking White <laughs> Castle of Fear. 
It's a gaga. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, just a little tease heading to the White Castle Fear. And and dare I say, uh, as cheesy and as campy and as shitty as those things were, the match certainly lived up to it. Uh, Shimani and Ventura. Ventura wore that uh, alligator skin or rattlesnake skin or whatever it was a lot. Uh, and wore his own T-shirt. And I don't think they let him promote his own T-shirt because he would have. He had that thing buttoned up. I was awfully pretty back then. While we're waiting on uh, the next match to happen here, we should tell you that uh, Wade Keller gave three quarters of a star to British Bulldog and uh, Bill Irwin. Mm. Uh, Cactus Jack and Paul Orndorff tore the house down. And then the Rock and Roll Express Heavenly Bodies match would get uh, three and three-quarter stars. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, it, it seems to me, and uh seems to me that Wade Keller was a little bit more in touch with with great wrestling than, than Melcher was. Let me ask here. Do you remember sort of thinking, uh, as we get ready for our United States heavyweight title match, this Smoky Mountain talent trade is about to come to an end, right? Because yeah. Cornette was really working with Watts, and since Watts right. is out, this is sort of the end of that, right? Right, yeah. I feel like we should talk a little bit about, uh, the booking committee. And that's something okay. that, uh, you've made a living out of here. Let's <laughs> having fun <laughs> with this, but, uh, it comes out in the observer that with all this, uh, power struggle that's happened, Watts mm. is out, JR's out, lots of changes in the front office, a huge booking committee is put together and yeah. he's sort of kids. This is probably the largest one in history. We've got. Bill Watts, uh, Dusty Rhodes, Greg Gagne, mm -hmm. Bill Dundee, Jim Barnett, Keith Mitchell, Ole Anderson, Jim Ross, Larry Zabisco, Sharon Sadello, Mike Graham, Eric Bischoff, and Michael Hayes. Mm. And the concept is if Flair comes in, he's going to be added to the committee. Yeah. And there, there's even rumors that Sid has asked for a spot at the table. Now we know that Watts is going to be on his way out and Ole is going to be taking over the book, but still there's a lot of fucking folks on this. What do you remember about this giant committee? And do you remember hearing rumors that Sid was getting a spot at the table? Don't remember about Sid getting a spot at the table. Uh, if that would have happened, I think everybody would have laughed that one off. Uh, but I do remember that the booking committee was way too large. And if you have that many people in a booking committee, nothing's ever going to get done. It's not. Uh, and that was one of the things that, that Dusty always preached that, you know, he said, I'm, I'm going to do it my own way and I'm going to live or die with it. And I don't have to, I don't have to go around to 10 people and say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I remember, though, that Dusty was more in charge of the book here and Ole was in charge of wrestling talent at this time. Right. Uh, and that's how we were broken down. You mentioned Sharon Sadella in charge of pay-per-views and Eric in charge of television. And, of course, Eric would eventually, uh, and after this four-headed monster would, would go down, Eric would be in charge of everything. Uh, listen, I, I, here's a booking committee story for you. Uh, and I've talked about this a lot. Uh, 
I got to see recently at a MLW taping. Guess who I saw? Who's that? Colonel Robert Parker. Really? <laughs> yes. He is managing the Dirty Blondes. And he did a pre-tape, and he did a great Colonel Parker pre-tape aware that he was instrumental in Stone Cold Steve Austin, Harlem Heat, Booker T, Sid Vicious, some of the great stars, and now he's got the Dirty Blondes with him. Well, he and I had a he and I had a discussion about the booking committee. And I said, Robert, I said, I, I talk a lot on, on my podcast about the booking committee, and people kind of laugh it off. I said, you were on the booking committee. He said, yes, I was. And he said, I hated every minute of it. Uh, and I, I remember the story that, uh, again, that I was not on the booking committee, but I was the, I was the guy that kind of wrote down things for the booking committee and formatted the shows out of it. Uh, they would send the booking committee to ver- various sites around Atlanta and around Georgia to get secluded and book because they all said, we can't book in the office. There's just too many distractions. Right. Uh, and one time we went to this golf course out on I-20 out towards Augusta, Georgia. Not Augusta Country Club. It's another one out there. I can't remember it right now. And I got very sick that night, and they had to rush me to the hospital with strep throat. And Colonel Robert Parker drove me to the hospital with me laying in the back of his car. And he reminded me of that. And he said that he was on the booking committee, and finally he said, fuck this. I've had enough of this. It is miserable because you work all night, you get nothing done, uh, and uh, he just stopped going. And he said, you know, they paid me for another year after that of being on the booking committee. He said, I I got extra pay for being on the booking committee, and I said, it wasn't worth it. I don't give a damn about the pay. And they paid him for another year, even though he never showed up for the booking committee after that. That's what shows you shows you how money was flying out our ass back then, right? We were were bleeding money, hemorrhaging money. Let me ask you about... Bill Dundee. We don't really yeah. talk a lot about Bill Dundee here on the show. What was your experience working with him like? Well, he was always a pretty friendly guy, a funny guy. Uh, a lot of times I never understood what he said. I don't remember Dundee being in a booking committee, uh, being in a room with him. What about uh, Greg Gagne? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember Greg. As a matter of fact, the day before this pay-per-view, Greg Gagne and I went golfing in Asheville, North Carolina. And, uh, we had a long discussion about the business. He thought, and I thought he was right. He thought we were giving away too much on television. He said, you got to tear it down. You got to back off. You got to not give them as much and then slowly build back. He really, Greg Gandhi had very, very definite feelings and ideas about obviously, you know, being from the AWA and the Gagne family. He had various, uh, you know, opinionated uh, thoughts about the way the business should be run. And, uh, you know, he eventually got fired by Eric, but he was very, very outspoken. A lot of things. Well, he makes shit up, by the way. Would he make shit up or did he no, make shit up? No, I know up? he does. He made shit up on a podcast recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Just to stir shit up and try to be interesting and. Really, oh. really hurt some people being a dumbass. Yeah, well, uh, you know why he got fired from WCW? Did he ever bring that up on his podcast? Uh, I assume he got fired because he was trying to start his own little promotion. That's exactly right. Yeah, under the nose of Eric Bischoff. Yeah, and I remember Eric saying, "I," he said, "I just I can't believe 
the stupidity. Yeah. A guy, a guy's making a great paycheck here. Uh, and he's trying to run his own business underneath our nose. Well, I, you know, that's, I guess, I don't know. I, maybe that's old school wrestling promoter shit. I, I don't know. Cause you know, I mean, look, look, let's face it, Conrad, you've heard the stories. If people go back in time and, and listen to the stories, there were some underhanded things done in wrestling through the years. I'm not arguing Colonel, that. Yeah. Yeah. Colonel Parker said, Colonel Parker said they used to take over territories. We're talking about years and years and decades and decades ago. They used to take over territories by gunpoint. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. They used to come in and say, you're not running this territory anymore. And the guy fearing for his life was like, okay, I'm not. And he'd leave. I mean, really process how silly that even is. Right. Yeah. If you stop, if you, if you kept running this territory, you were going to die. You were going to be killed. And listen, they, they really b- believe that. And I'm sure there were some people that, uh, that did die. We're talking yeah. over a, uh, Max Payne, Dustin Rhodes match for the United States title. It's going to get one star from Wade yeah. Keller. Give everybody a time cue at home, Tony. So they know where they are. If they're trying to watch along with us, I'm at one forty two twenty twenty one twenty two. That's one hour, 42 minutes, now 25 seconds, 26. I thought Max Payne was for the big guy, you know, put into this match. I, I thought Max Payne was a pretty good bumping big guy. He was not bumping on the level of a of a Vader, but he, he was all right. And, of course, Dustin was a quality worker. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, the Davy Boy situation. Apparently, right. when he comes in, uh, he had agreed to work a hundred dates during 1992, presumably for a hundred thousand dollars. Um, what'd you think of that? I mean, that doesn't necessarily feel like top guy money, but I guess he had sort of, he had sort of lost some negotiating power Yeah. with the way he left the WWF, right? Yeah. Well, look. I don't know what the top guys, I really don't know what the top guys were making at that time. But to me, if you're making $100,000, that's pretty good money. Well, I think a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, that's pretty good money. But but really, when you're paying your road expenses too, yeah, I don't okay. know how much you're actually taking home out of that to be on the right. road that much. But there's lots of people coming and going during this era, though. I and mean, we've already talked a lot about a lot of people leaving. Medusa is another one. Um, it would be written in the observer. Medusa's definitely gone. Don't know details. I know she wanted to wrestle and the company didn't have ideas in that direction. This is purely speculation, but it would make all the sense in the world for Medusa to go to the WWF and manage Shawn Michaels and feud with Sherry. Well, of course she winds up in the WWF, but does wind up wrestling there. Medusa was a big part of the dangerous Alliance, but with Paul E out and now Medusa gone, that feels like a hundred years ago. Do you think, uh, I mean, how, how tore up were you when Deuce was let loose? Well, I was tore up because she and I were very good friends. I've made that, uh, uh, I've talked about that before. Uh, and as a matter of fact, as you and I are recording this on Sunday, Deuce and I had a long talk on the telephone yesterday about the business. We just start talking and, and yeah, you know, yeah, it does seem like a, the Dangerous Alliance was a million years ago, but in reality, it was only like one year ago from this match that we're watching. She was... She was unfortunately, uh, came along in the wrong era. Right. I, I think, uh, if she was in her twenties now, she'd be a, she'd be a major star in the WWE. 
I don't think there's any question of that. Yeah, and and I we she and I talk about that a lot. I I just uh, she wanted to uh, she wanted to be a, a women's wrestler, and we did not know how to do that. Nor did I guess we think it would work. And maybe back in 1992 or three, it wouldn't have worked. But it certainly does work now because they're doing it the right way. I mean, they're they're making them on par equal to the to the men wrestlers. They got their own Royal Rumble. They got their own Elimination Chamber match now. Uh, so yeah, she would have been. Can you imagine a Medusa in her prime wrestling, Charlotte Flair? Oh, it'd be huge. Yes, it would be tremendous. So let's anyway. just talk briefly about business and how different it is year over year, because in 1992, WCW's estimated average gate was 1850. So 1,850 fans by comparison, the WWF is averaging 4,250 fans. Mm-hmm. Now the revenue difference means that's roughly $19,000 for WCW versus $57,400. And those are house mm. show numbers. You're not including your big shows, but here, you know, year over year, just so you can kind of compare in February of 92, WCW was averaging 2090 and in February 93, they're averaging 1690. So they're down 19%. It's a big difference, especially financially, because your average gate goes from 24,000 to 13,000. So you're down a lot. Yeah. Do you remember all the upheaval in the front office really just being a reaction to the gross receipts? That was part of it. Look, Eric, when he came in, he had Eric thought that it was going to be a television business. He and he and Bob do butted heads on this a lot. Bob do was an old school arena guy, Eric thought, fuck the arenas. We can make money on television on buy rates, on pay-per-view on selling our, our time. Uh, when I, when I hear you compare those numbers to us from the WWE, yeah, there's something else that goes into that too. And, and maybe fans don't realize this and maybe fans do. I realize it. Give you an example. Let's say on a Sunday, like this event was on a Sunday, any given Sunday, right? We're booked into the Asheville Civic Center. They're booked in the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Right. Uh, Monday, we go to Greenville, South Carolina, to Greenville Memorial Auditorium. Uh, they're going to go to, I don't know, Madison Square Garden. They, they work bigger venues. They work bigger population areas than, than WCW did. WCW is very much a, still at this time, a regional southern promotion occasionally going to bigger towns. Uh, and that's it. They throw this match out. Uh, disqualification. Uh, that's one of the reasons that their gate receipts were bigger than ours. They were in bigger markets. They were a bigger promotion. And Eric was trying to compete with that. Makes sense to you? Absolutely. Yeah. They're going to work the Boston Garden. Uh, and we're going to work... Uh, Oh, I don't know. The Charlotte Coliseum, which the old Charlotte Coliseum that we worked, the Independence Arena was 10,000 seats at the most. Chat me up about Max Payne here. Do you remember somebody in the office or on the committee really being high on him? I've always been curious how the push happens for Max Payne. Well, I thought that they they thought that um, I think Ole was big on him, if I remember correctly. 
uh, because he could play the guitar. It was something different. Uh, and I, th- I said, I thought for a big guy, he would bump quite well. Uh, and uh, th- he had his favorites in the booking committee. Every time I start to talk and they show part of this White Castle of Fear, it kind of uh, diverts my attention. Sorry about that. But uh, I, you know, just like anybody else, he had his supporters and detractors. Well, give us some insight. Who was for him? Who was shitting on him? You said Ole was for him. Ole was for him. I, I think that uh, well, Dusty was for him, but I don't. I don't think. I don't think Bischoff cared that much for him. Yeah, I can't see. I can't imagine him being a Bischoff guy. Yeah, and that was the final say. That was the final blow, because Eric eventually took over the business. You know, it was a again. It was a it was a four headed monster back then, but it became just Eric. What a big introduction here. One of the most celebrated sports personalities in the world. The former heavyweight champion of the world, nature boy, Ric Flair, and a big return here. Of course, he had most recently lost a loser leaves town match against Mr. Perfect on one of the early episodes of Monday night raw. That was in January. This is a new month and it's a new day for WCW. Half the signs are more are about Ric Flair. And here he comes looking only he can look in a three piece Hmm. suit. Uh, clearly WCW's biggest star at this point. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. If you go back through the, through the history books, uh, before he left and, uh, back in Jim Crockett promotions, uh, the biggest star. And I was, I, I never got nervous much, but I was pretty nervous about this one. Because you'd be working with a guy that you, um, well, that, sort of that I'm holding, oh, oh, yeah, I'm holding the microphone for his return. We're going to hear Ric Flair's first words from my microphone. So it was kind of, uh, it was kind of a big moment. What's he saying here, Tony? Uh, he's saying, oh, well, it's, <laughs> he's saying, I just want to let everybody know that the size of my dick God. did not shrink at all in oh, New my. York. Woo. And as the women know. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Uh, he's uh, just talking about his return at the uh, to WCW, and uh, it was the right place to do it. Yeah, you used to be funny. I remember that. Who did you? Oh, I'm not funny anymore. Well, just usually, you know, whenever I say, "Hey, what's he saying here?" You give us some humor, but oh, okay, all right. Maybe I'll maybe I'll write shit down now and and script out this stuff. You mean you should prepare? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. Okay. A lot of podcasts just call it in the ring. That's not okay. like, that's not like oh. I got 48 pages okay. of notes over uh, here. It's fine. Okay. I don't know. Maybe he said, I just hope my daughter doesn't marry a dickhead years to come. How's that sound? Well, I'll be, I'm happy to announce that Charlotte ran him off. So <laughs> <laughs> she did, but she fixed it. <laughs> All right, here comes Barry Windham looking like uh, like a, a young blackjack mulligan. Got the mustache going and everything. He looks like an extra from Tombstone with that mustache. <laughs> yes, he does. I'm waiting on him any minute to say, I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> this jacket right here feels like something you would wear today. Yeah, I would wear it today, man. I, I like that shit. And then, that's like uh, that's like stuff from New Mexico. That's like a, a jacket from New Mexico or something the Aztecs would wear or... The Aztecs. <laughs> oh my God. We're really reaching on this show today. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's like a, 
I don't know. I, I like it. I like the jacket. Do you have it? You own most of all the other shit. No, get out of here. Hey, you okay. know something I do have though. I want to plug, uh-huh. uh, our good buddy, Rick Flair is actually stealing our gimmick a little bit, or maybe he's borrowing it. What? Uh, yeah. Today, the day you're hearing this and tomorrow. So the 12th and the 13th, uh, you can actually place an order at rickflairshop.com and Rick Flair will call you. How cool is that? That motherfucker. Who started this stuff? I love it. Well, here's the deal. Even you okay. would like this because they've got a couple of fun things over there. I don't know if you've seen it in a while, but okay. the, uh, the star Wars inspired Ric Flair shirts are your deal. So like his old spilt liquor promo yeah. <laughs> is coming in like the speech at the beginning of star Wars, you know, a long time right. ago in a galaxy far, far away. Well, they yeah. did that for that speech. And he's got another one in the font for star Wars. that says Ric Flair. It's just good stuff. And He's even got a new shirt that says shut up fat boy. They've got really fun stuff over there. Socks that have the RF on the side. You know, we talk about Rick every week. I figure we ought to at least plug rickflareshop.com because I thought him doing the, if you spend X amount of dollars, you get a call from the nature boy deal. It's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, it is cool. I wonder who thought of it first. Well, that'd be me. Yeah. There you go. But still, you know, we're keeping it in the fam jam, right? Boy so are, boy are, boy are you ever, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and uh, plug pop pop here. <laughs> <Rick-flare-shop.com>. <laughs> pop <laughs> the, the great Muda here is your NWA world champion having just defeated Masahiro Chono. And there is the beautiful big gold belt with the great Muda nameplate. The NWA world's heavyweight championship is on the line here. And of course the WCW world title is going to be defended when sting and Vader go head to head, but this is still the belt that I considered the championship. You know, I mean, flair never lost it and he can't wait to mention that in his his promos, which is a great storyline deal, but it's also legit. Absolutely. I mean, look here, I am sitting at ringside with Ric Flair (laughs) pop, pop. (laughs) <laughs> and Jesse, the body Ventura. Oh my God. Can you imagine being the grandson of Ric Flair? Woo. Holy shit. What did granddaddy do? He has, a, gr- gran- he has a grandson. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Dave, David has a boy and a girl. Oh, okay. His grandson, Carter. Uh, okay. he's the well, coolest dude ever. Well, that's good. How old is Carter now? Uh, I think Carter's 11. Okay. So he probably knows what grand, what pop pop did. He does. He definitely yeah. knows what uh, Aunt Charlotte does. So. Okay. And cool. I, I think all the kids actually call him Papa Rick. Papa Rick. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is cool. Uh, my grandkids call me Papa Tony, which is not a, a it, it's not, it's not a ripoff of Papa Rick. I, I never showed my dick to everybody. Uh, but so. Oh, well, it's like he used to say, I'd be, I don't know what that costs. I'd be ashamed to wear it. <laughs> We're freestyling today on what happened. Uh, Let me say something, if I can, about this match to bring it back down to earth, since I'm not that funny anymore. Uh, I loved this match. I loved this match for a couple of reasons. I loved this match because I was (coughs) calling it with Ric Flair and Jesse Ventura. Right. That was a big deal for me. And I loved this match because they were doing some old school stuff here. They were telling a story here. They were snatching headlocks. They were working on parts of the body, and they were two great workers. You do not have to have – I don't know how long this match went. This match had to, what, go 20 minutes or so? Yeah, it was a good one. 
Yeah. You do not have to have 20 minutes of flip, flop, fly, hit the top turnbuckle, go on the top ropes, hit the floor, hit a chair, do that bullshit. You don't have to do that. This is, to me, this was, this was old school shit with guys who knew how to work and tell a story. Uh, Keller did not like it. He only, they're going to go 24 minutes and eight seconds and he only gives it two stars. He says it's disappointing, credible, but too slow and lacking any intensity for most of the bout. Rick came into the ring with the belt and fastened it on Barry. Right. And then we do a little angle afterwards that you'll see. So it's telling a good story and I actually like it just because of the guys who are in it. Yep. But Keller's so critical of the match that he says that you should tie Muda and Wyndham's pay to the star system and yeah. because these guys have the ability to put on a five-star match, but he feels like they're just sort of phoning it in here. No. And this is not the best shape that Wyndham has ever been in. Right. And he's not the Barry Wyndham of, say, 86 or 87, but he's still one heck of a performer. And the great Muda as a kid was always a fascinating character for me. And he's about as jacked as he ever looked here. I really dig the presentation of the match. And I love the concept of having flair out there. I'm with you. I liked it a lot better than two stars, but I think he was looking for more fast action and they did work a, a more grounded old school grab a hold type of match. I wonder if, let, let me ask you this. I wonder if Wade Keller, Dave Meltzer, all those jackoffs uh, that that write for a living, uh, and have never had to book. I just wonder had they seen Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, who they all love, do a hour and a half Broadway. How would they have rated that? Would they have given it two stars because it was too slow? Well, you know, I don't think so. I mean, because these guys worked. You know, you go back and you look at the matches in 89 with Steamboat and Flair and Meltzer gave them five stars. So I don't, no, I'm, t- I'm talking about the house shows of uh, hour and a half stuff to where they had to stretch it out or two hours. They, you know, they did. I talked to Ricky Steamboat one time that, uh, they, uh, they were, they were going to go a 90 minute time limit and George Scott wanted them to get it over in 25 minutes and Flair pushed it all the way to the countdown of 90 minutes. Okay. I wonder how they would have reacted to guys going 90 minutes, because if you go 90 minutes in the ring, you're going to have to snatch a headlock, right? You're going to have to slow it down a little bit. I'm saying that we've been so conditioned. They've been so conditioned as fans to jerking off of the Lucha Libre stuff that uh, this has, this has, uh, they, they don't like this stuff, but this is the essence of pro wrestling to me. Boy, and I really feel like an old fuck saying that, but it is. He is he is working a headlock. What the fuck is wrong with that? Is that too slow for you? If that's too slow for you, then I suggest you go watch a hockey game. I, I just, I don't get it. And they're telling the story. I just, I, uh, to my dying day, I'll say they are wrong about that. I really wish you had an opinion on this. I'm sorry. No, it's great. Yeah. Just busting balls. Yeah. Well, you know, it just, it just, it pisses me off. It really does that. Uh, but and look, and I was, everybody's got their own opinion. I understand that if, if anything else, what Twitter has done is get every Jack off in the world, his own opinion. Right. Uh, but uh, everybody's got his own opinion. I understand that uh, Wade Keller has one Meltzer has one, but to say this match is too slow. Look at this. What the hell 
He wants to go back to the side headlock. So what did he do? They got up to a vertical base. He made sure that he drop kicked him down so he could go to the side headlock once again. Too slow for you? Come on, give me a fucking break. I saw many, I saw many house shows, many matches like this that went 20, 25, 30 minutes. I saw Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat do go with have a two-hour cage match at the Greensboro Coliseum years before there was a Starcade, and it was wonderful. And it didn't go the two hours, but it went a long time. So, hey, let me ask you about Barry Windham here. We just put over his phenomenal matches from yeah. '86 and '87 with Ric Flair. Some of the best stuff ever. I mean, I can't recommend it enough. But this is going to be his first world title win, and because there's two world titles, and maybe it's a few years late, it doesn't feel like the big moment that Barry Windham maybe deserved. Right. What do you think of, of Barry Windham only just now winning this quote unquote world title, even though it's really the secondary title here in 1993, I think a lot of people thought he was ready in 87 or 88 or 89 or 90 or 91. And here we are all those years later, your response. I think that there could be a, uh, and I think you would agree with this. There, there could be a thing that, or it could be an opinion that says that he, he deserved the shot in 87 instead of Ronnie Garvin. Yeah, I, maybe, I would totally agree with that. Yeah, and maybe deserve to have a run as the world heavyweight champion. I do agree that because we had two world championships at this time, and this was, of course, a Bill Watts thing, uh, that it made it feel kind of secondary. In addition, uh I understand the angle, but we are going to see Ric Flair come into the ring and snap the belt on Barry Windham, unbeknownst to Barry. Now, compare that to when Ric Flair won the world title to start Caden 83 and everybody came in and celebrated with him. Right. Or when Dusty had won a world title and everybody celebrated with him. Yeah, th- I mean, this this could have been you know, a, a big America versus Japan. We're bringing the belt back home to the States and a big right. celebration Right. That the world title, the NWA world title was coming back to WCW in America as opposed to Japan. Right. But it wasn't. And I, and I thought that was wrong. Do you think, um, I've always sort of wondered, and it feels like this is accurate, that maybe there was a little bit of heat, not a lot, but a little bit about the way Rick left in 91 because Barry Windham who was a top tier guy at the time finds himself working with Lex Luger for the world title in a cage match. And it was supposed to be Flair and Luger, right? But, but a lot of people thought, you know, Wyndham was going to be in that spot, but when Flair winds up leaving, they just call an audible and move away. Was there any sort of heat on Rick? You think for the, from any of the boys, Barry Wyndham, Lex Luger, any of those guys about the way he left at 91? Not that I was aware of. I, I think they. I think everybody understood uh, what Rick was going through with Jim Hurd and the bullshit that was going down. And it was. I was always on Rick's side with this, uh, I, and I think most of the boys were as well. And now that he's back, of course, Hurd's gone. It's a new era, so I think everybody's glad to see him back. The show where Muda won the world title happened on January fourth at the Tokyo Egg Dome. It was uh, a WCW New Japan Super Show, and it had a huge crowd, like sixty-three thousand folks or so. 
which Meltzer would write was like the seventh largest crowd in history to ever see a pro wrestling show. And the gate was just phenomenal. Maybe the largest of the time, three and a half million. Did you go to this super show in Japan? No, the only super show I went to in Japan was the one where, uh, flair dropped the strap to, uh, Fujinami. Is that it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's the only Japan super show I'd ever gone to. And that was in 1991, I believe. Well, on that match is where you would see great mood of pin Masahiro Chono after 19 minutes and 48 seconds. And he essentially unifies the NWA and the IWGP versions of the heavyweight title. They're not officially unified, of course, because he's not going to drop one here right. to Barry Windham. But still, it was a big-time match, and it was kind of cool to see the belt defended over there. Meltzer loved the match, of course. He gave it yep. four and a quarter stars. Um, do you remember that being a big deal, that you know the title was defended in Japan? It certainly made it feel more like a, a world title to have title changes on the other side of the globe, right? Yeah, I, I remember that happening, but I, I, don't, I just remember all of a sudden the, the NWA title didn't mean as much. It was the WCW title with Vader that are in, and even though the, the belt was shitty compared to the NWA belt, it, it, didn't, it just didn't mean as much. You know, if, if it had meant as much, wouldn't it have been the main event in this, this one? Yeah. I mean, you could have still, you could have still made it this, the white castle of fear gimmick, uh, but still had it next to last and had this as the last match. You could have really, you could have really, look, we've even touched on it here. You could have really made this match mean a whole lot more. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, for starters too, you know, I know it's on pay-per-view and, and I know you want to get Ric Flair here, uh, you know, on pay-per-view as a, as an attraction for you to sell tickets and pay-per-views. He's coming back to North Carolina, blah, blah, blah. If, if you wanted to make this secondary title feel special, rather than have it not be on top here, you could have let them have the majority of a television hour mm-hmm. and just promote it for weeks at a time. And then having a world title match on TV, a long one like this would have really been different and got a lot of attention and I'm sure a lot of magazine coverage and all that jazz. Well, here's another thing you can do it. And this was, this was, this is such a, an easy thing to do. You can have people fill up the ring at the beginning. Yeah. Like to introduce the former heavyweight champion of the world. The nature boy, Ric Flair is here. He takes a bow. Right. I'd like to introduce, I don't know, uh, bring a promoter and bring, if Don Owens is still alive, bring him in. Well, Harley Race is there. He could have Harley been Race, there. absolutely, and bring him in. And I, I just watched, again, I was talking about watching uh, some of the uh, hidden gems. I just watched Hulk Hogan face Nick Bockwinkle at Super Sunday in the AWA. And they made that seem like a big, Gene Oakland was the ring announcer. They had Lord Blears as the, uh, as the uh, official. And then they had, uh, who was the president of the AWA back then? Stanley Blackburn. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, they had him in the ring with the belt. Made it feel like a big world title belt, a thing. Uh, and this just felt like two guys, with the exception of Hiro Matsuda, two guys going to the ring for another match. So, And, of course, you know, we're armchair booking, I know. But really, it it should, if, if this is the a world title that was won in Japan, it should feel, I mean, Get some Japanese photographers around the ring. Get a bunch of them. You know, hire some Japanese actors or actresses with, you know, and have them take pictures. Except for Jimmy Suzuka, which Suzuki, which is always around. You know, you just it. 
you this is uh this is make believe here and you can make believe it make it as big or as small as you want so that's my thought so what do we have we put a lot of emphasis on Rick Flair's uh security guys yeah. let's, let's talk a little bit about Flair because there's a lot going on with his return um he was released from his WWF contract and the contract wasn't supposed to end until September of 93. And I believe they were in Wisconsin doing a, maybe it was a TV taping. I think it was in Madison. Rick comes to Vince or Vince comes to Rick and says, Hey, we're going to start going with younger guys. And I want you to wrestle razor Ramon, do their favor for him. And then I'm not really sure where we're going to go from there. Mm. So he starts to put some feelers out. And he's got uh, an offer outside of wrestling for a part of a company, uh, sort of, uh, pushing, uh, toys with, uh, and he would have been an executive with the company and, and they would have essentially leveraged his name and he wasn't ready to get out of wrestling. So when there's maybe an opportunity to go work with Watts in WCW, he goes to Vince and works it out and manages to get a release ahead of time. And Vince is a man of his word and lets Rick out because allegedly that was sort of their handshake deal up front. If he ever wasn't happy with his spot, like he wasn't with WCW when he came over, he could leave. Of course, Vince just asked him to put over Mr. Perfect on raw. And here we are. When you first hear that Rick might be coming back, this is, you know, when Bill Watts is in control before Ole has the book, is this met with any sort of. I mean, is everybody excited he's coming back? I know you are, but is there anybody in the office like, Jesus, not this fucking guy? No, there was nobody in the office that said that. Ole may have had a concern about it because, you know, Ole was not always a, the biggest Ric Flair fan in the world. Right. Uh, but uh, Ole may have had a concern about it. If he did, he didn't voice it to me. I think everybody that I was around was really excited that, that he came back. You know, when he left, it was, as we mentioned, it was a terrible void for us. It was our biggest star walking out and bringing the belt away from us. Uh, so him coming back was to us a big deal. Well, and the, the whole loser leaves town match goes down, uh, I believe on January 25th, 1993. And they agree, Hey, just stay off TV for like three weeks. So allegedly the date was February 15th. He couldn't appear on TV until February 15th. And this is February 21st. So just six days later, he's here on pay-per-view for you guys. And he signed a multi-year contract to come back and it's well above what Bill Watts had promised would be the top pay for any talent. Bill right. Watts, which we've covered, and I'm sure we will again in the future was really uh, spearheading a campaign to cut expenses and get people to a more reasonable contract or what he believed to be more reasonable. And one of those edicts was nobody can make more than a thousand dollars a night period. Well, of course, Flair comes in for that, um, and he's going to be making more than that right away. So this seems like the one exception that Watts has hired. Right. But Rick would sort of famously say that some of that may be changed because as soon as he's back in, Ole Anderson has the book, even though Bill Watts is the person who brought him in. And allegedly, Ole said something like, after you just lost on TV, what fucking worth do you have here? Yeah. Do you remember there being a lot of, um, unhappiness from Rick right away that he was coming back to work with Ole like that? Uh, no, I look, 
Oli, Oli always said shit like that, and and you never knew if Oli was ribbing or not. You didn't. That's just the way he was. He he he. Oli did a lot of ribbing on the square, as we used to say in the business. But he always would. He always would have, as a booker. I mean, I, I always thought he he found a way to make things work. So I don't I don't think Flair was unhappy with Oli at all. Oli may have you know may have said that. He may have been joking. I I just I I just don't think there's as much animosity with Flair coming back as maybe there's there's been uh, said or portrayed out there. I don't know. Well, he's not, I mean, Oli's out of here in 93 and Bischoff is ultimately the person who fires him. And this happens uh, allegedly because there's a little bit of uh, house cleaning. And one of those is when Eric Bischoff fires someone, <coughs> excuse me, from the power plant who had a relationship with Oli Anderson. Do you remember hearing about that? Uh, I'm of the opinion that Bischoff fired Oli's son who was training at the power plant uh and Oli is pissed off enough to try to call Smoky Mountain and Jim Cornette to try to get his son a job uh and allegedly he starts sort of shit talking Bischoff within earshot of Blackjack Blackjack runs and tells Cornette it ju- not Cornette, but Bischoff, and it just feels like a little too much. And Bischoff decides I've had enough of this, but maybe yeah. some of it was Flair also on the other end saying, fuck this guy, him or me, man, this guy doesn't get who I am. He's not going to take care of me. Doesn't want me back here. He's got to go. Would Flair have said that when he first arrived back? I believe Flair is partially responsible for getting only fired. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, then you know more than I do about it, but I, I just, uh, I just, I can't uh, uh, believe that Flair coming back immediately would say, Hey, it's him or me. He may have said that before he came in, but where where do you think Flair's money was at the time? You know, allegedly when he left the first time he was making in the $750,000 a year range. Right. And the dirt sheets are speculating that he's going to do something like 375 or 400 when he comes back, which Meltzer says is probably more than he could have earned in the WWF. Right. What do you remember being the rumor that he came back for? I, the rumor that he came back for was, uh, $750,000, There you go. That's what we all believed. If it was 400, 400,000, man, that was much lower than that would have surprised all of us. It's worth mentioning too, that Terry Funk was supposed to be coming in around this same time and he was going to be, you know, a top baby face and they were wanting to bring him in for a nightly main event guaranteed contract of $750 with a potential $250 bonus based on how hard he worked. Yes. This is bill Watts, ladies and gentlemen. Wait, wait a minute, $250 per week, per night, per month. 750 is the guarantee for every match, but he can right. earn a $250 bonus every night. If he works real hard. And who determines if he works real hard, Bill Watts and his agents. <laughs> okay. All right. Isn't that crazy? Jesus Christ. So 
ultimately though, Funk decides, fuck that. I'm not coming back. And Meltzer right. would say Terry Funk has mentioned here last week, backed out early last week. He had agreed originally to start in the cage match at the clash as the original replacement for Van Hammer. Apparently he was offered a short-term deal and decided that if they were going to make him look so bad by the way, they edited the I quit match that if he was only there for a short time, his main role would be to put others over and then make him look bad again. So he opts not to come back, which given the chaos in the company at the time, probably good on him, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what idiots would want to walk back into that chaos. I did. In 1990, but, uh, yeah, it was a good move. I feel like we should touch on Rick Rude here. He's been out for a while and he's going to be out until March with a uh, bulging disc problem in his neck mm. and WCW was refusing to pay him because he wasn't working. So he was trying to go on workman's comp and he had the Lloyd's London deal. Um, but he's supposed to be in the hunt for the tag or for the, uh, United States title belt. And. He's even the, the champion rather, I should say, but they're going to hold a tournament after because he's even refusing to return the United States belt. Yeah. Uh, do you remember hearing about problems with Rick Rude being injured? Cause that injury happens in December Yeah. and you know, ultimately he's stripped of the United States title and won't return it and blah, blah, blah. But he had one hell of a run. Like the, I think the second longest reign up until that time. But do you remember hearing, Hey, he's hurt. They're not paying him. So he said, fuck off. I'm not sending the belt. I remember, I remember all of that. Absolutely. And I remember thinking good for him, but couldn't you just make another belt? Yeah. I mean, they did in 91 when flair left yeah. and we're going to see it in just a minute. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, you know, it was, uh, it was not as big a deal, but I remember thinking good for him. You know, if they're not going to pay him for being hurt, then, uh, you know, I always thought the guys worked very hard and they should be better taken care of. I often thought that Jesus Christ. Look what we saw from black Jack Mulligan. I'm sorry. From cactus Jack one, two, three, there's your one, two, three. And Barry Windham's a champ. Now look at the crowd, the by the way, the crowd is really into the finish. Of course you know, they are. It was a long match. They told a great story. Exactly. And I think a lot of the fans who are cheering are old horseman fans. And they remember that Barry Windham has been one of the more underrated guys as far as his push in the promotion. And now to finally get this moment is a big deal. Yes, it is. And this was kind of a, a very strange moment. You know, Barry just kind of yanks the title away. And I'm thinking here, you know, this is a big moment for Barry and, uh, only thing they do is kind of look like start a little angle with he and Ric Flair here, but it, it should have been a bigger moment. It should have been, it just was not as big. And the fans are, I mean, the, the it's bought the fans attention. No yeah. question about that. You could have still done the angle, but you could have done the angle after you have all the celebration in the ring and making it a big deal. So it was cool though, just to see them look at each other and the crowd responds because they know that's where we're headed. All right. And there you go. Your new world champion, Barry Windham. And, uh, it's probably a little late. It's probably with a little less pomp and circumstance, but he finally did it. He's got the big gold belt. And now back to the white castle of fear. It's a strap match between sting and Vader. This would be a Turner home entertainment or 
uh, Sharon Sodello, who was in charge of pay-per-views, right? This would be one of her things to come up with something like that. And, you know, it was this was right in line with the, the midget blowing up the boat. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, she did a series of these and, uh, yes, she did. I mean, well, there they are. Yes, she did. Do you ever hear the story that, uh, the rumor and innuendo that she was having an affair with Oli? Yeah. We've talked about it here on the show. We have. Okay. And, and you have, uh, you have confirmed those rumors. Yes. Right. I mean, I think you, they, now I, th- I believe the, the wording you used were no one actually saw penetration, but we, right. we believe that that was the case. And I heard they had lived together too. So this was around well, that time, but at the same time, you and Lois lived together and that doesn't really happen. That doesn't mean you're having sex. You're exactly right. Right. Could just, I mean, you're roommates. <laughs> so only, only was at least roommates with Sharon. <laughs> right. Much, maybe much the same way that Lois and I are roommates, like a brother and sister would be. We saw a lot of Johnny B. Bad here, and, and Johnny B. Bad's contract uh, at the time was expiring. He had a $156,000 one year deal. Ooh, and wow. instead, he's offered $350 guaranteed plus $150 bonus per event with a 200 event guarantee by Watts. And that leads Meltzer to say odds are very good. He'll be in the WWF in March with a new name, but the same gimmick. He came close to going last year, but it was too little, um, too much as far as the guarantee on paper, uh, that he was getting from, from WCW. Not a lot of guys in this era were up for a WWF contract where even if the upside was great, you know, you never really knew what the minimum was because you signed some ridiculous, Hey, I make $50 for TV 16 times a year or some shit. Yeah. You know, the, uh, it's well known that I think at this time, I knew it was before this, that the, the travel in the WWF and the work load in the WWF was ungodly, um, uh, compared to what they had for you here. It oh. was a much bigger quote unquote territory. Oh my gosh, Tony. I, look who it is. It's sting or as Gary, Michael Capetta would say, this is sting and this is right in this is right in sting's wheelhouse of the of the uh, surfer sting man looking good great color combination fans loved him they some guy even had his uh did we sell that was that was that a merchandise item the guy no, had no he he just made that well, I he love did a great job on that i can sting, say that man the, the, the jacket sting wore here were yeah. almost as cool as rick flair robes were they not oh absolutely and Sting could call out to him. And on the other side, this was, if you love wrestling because it was, for you, the the example of evil versus good, if that was your thing, much like that's why you like comic books, that's why you like uh, evil, that's why you like the superhero movies now, evil versus good, this was it. This was WCW's evil versus good. Now, that's what they wanted to portray in the White Castle of Fear videos, and it got to where it was kind of with all the girls fucking cheesy. But, man, there was no question, or you see non-sanctioned by WCW, there was no question this was superhero, Mr. Popular, good guy Sting, and a badass, no good, evil motherfucker. And I loved him. I loved both of them. I loved this version of Sting. 
This is my favorite. I know most of my friends like crusting better. This is my favorite, but Vader here, you know, this is proof positive that you could still come on the scene in this era and make a big splash because most yeah. of the main events at this point are guys who've been established for years and been around for a long time. Vader sort of comes on the scene and very quickly before you know it, he's a top guy and he's positioned as a real, just like you said, nasty bully heel and the headgear and all of that. It was right time, right place. I don't know that any of that would really work as well today. It probably could, but in this era, man, this is as good as it gets for Vader to me. Yeah, it is. And and the reason Vader was so good comes to this. The son of a bitch could work, man. Yeah. I mean, he could. And, and I saw Leon uh, at a Wrestle, uh, WrestleCon last year before uh, when we were in Orlando. And, you know, his health is bad. Uh, and we talked for a little bit. And uh, I told him, I said, man, I said, in my book, you're going to go down as one of the best working big men, if not the best working big man of all time. I mean, his shit was believable, mostly because his shit was stiff. <laughs> Anybody working with him would tell you that. Uh, and uh, as you go along, if you've not seen this and you're watching this with us for the first time, or you had seen it and forgotten it, just wait till you see uh, the the actual carnage in this match. It is mind blowing. It this is the type of match, Conrad. I've said this for, and I've preached this on our podcast for so long. You would go to an event. And you would see eight matches or seven matches or six matches, and you would go, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, and eh, maybe that wasn't. But those two motherfuckers, that's real. This is the match that sold the night for you. That sold the night for you that these two motherfuckers really don't like each other. And it's real. And that's that was the hook. That was the hook to wrestling. You thought you knew. You never knew, and then you see something like that, and you say, yeah, well, if I thought it was phony, what a that fucking clothesline. Yeah, look at that. First bump, right? First fucking bump. And what does he do? I mean, just being the super shit heel he is, he just hovers over him, right? He just hovers over him as if to just uh, rub it in, okay? Look at that. Just, yeah, motherfucker, I did it. I'll do it again now. See, you're a damn motherfucker. I'll do it again. See, that's a, that's, man, he was a, look, not only will I put the elbow on the midsection, but if I catch the nuts on that elbow, yeah, I'll do it again. Look at that. Look at me, motherfucker. See, that's, that was, that was Vader, man. And, and, you know, Vader was, you know, he was legitimate scary to all of us because Leon was the type of guy when the bell rang, you just, you, you, he would uh, get into a different zone. You know? he, he reminds me a lot of a Stan Hansen or a bruiser Brody in that regard, but right. when he's fucking going, man, just get out of yeah. the way. Yeah. Had you ever heard the story about, uh, in Japan that he beat up this woman? No. Yeah. Uh, you know, he would do, uh, and there's a, somebody has to know the story, but he was working in Japan and there's a promoter's wife who was standing outside of the, uh, of the locker room after he finished his match. And you know, back then you could, you know, you know how they would go and they would beat people in the stands. Yeah. And people in Japan loved it. They thought they were part of the show. Uh, as, and he loses his match. He's pissed off. He's going back to the locker room and the promoter's wife stand there and he just fucking nails her. Uh, he got a lot of heat about that. Uh, and that was a story. That's all I know about that story. Uh, fans may know more about that story, but what that was, was Leon, being big Van Vader and being in Vader mode. 
you know, if he ever tumbled down where we were, we were fucking gone. Right. He was, he was Papa Pump before Papa Pump. You know, you just didn't know what you got. So, and yeah, this fans are buying into all this, right? Vader did a great job here, beginning of the match, being the strong man, being the bully. And now Sting finally gets him off his feet and the fan react to it. Look at that. Big guy could bump. So I, I, I maybe that, that story in Japan is, is kind of false bullshit, but I had heard that. And I heard that ended his tour early too. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, this front office shakeup. I can't recommend this pay-per-view enough. You know, we, we, we have a lot of fun talking about some of the really bad stuff on WCW. This pay-per-view is not one of those. No, Go it's check one it of the out. better ones. Yeah. Um, it comes out in the observer, Jim Ross, Jim Ross, whose official title had been vice president in charge of television, took the biggest fall of anyone. He will be removed as a personality from all TBS shows effective March 1st. And will no be no longer be a part of the announcing team on clashes and pay-per-views with this final assessment or assignment being super brawl three in Nashville. Well, of course we know he didn't do it here either. Right. Um, of course, Dave puts him over saying he's been voted announcer of the year by the wrestling observer readers, uh, by a wide margin for the last five years. He writes the decision to uh, replace Ross as lead announcer. And in fact, eliminate him from all TBS broadcasts appears to be related to his falling star in the front office. When the two different demotions should have probably been judged on each individual's merit rather than collectively. Ultimately he Hmm. doesn't, you know, Meltzer's writing that he thinks Bischoff doesn't like the look or the accent and, um, that it's really a Bischoff decision to get rid of Jr. Yeah. And he freestyles that Jr. was making 150 to $200,000 a year. Do you think this was all Bischoff or, or was there more to this? No, Eric had a lot to do with it. This I know for sure. Uh, he didn't like the, the Southern twang, uh, Eric, you know, uh, Jr. played a lot of politics in the office. He was very good at it, man. He was tremendous. And, uh, and I admired it. Uh, he had a lot. Jim had uh, had all the confidence. He did. He had all the confidence uh, that I always wanted, and I admired that. Uh, and he played the game, the political game in the office. Eric did not not like his southern twang, and that's part of it. Another part is that Bill Shaw didn't like him at all. And I don't know. I don't know what what that was. I don't know if he had a meeting with Bill Shaw and rub Bill the wrong way or not. But I know that Bill Shaw did not like Jim Ross. And uh, I remember we were in a, we were in a big meeting and I, and this was, this was right at the downfall and he was going to be taken off. And he's in the meeting as Jim was always opinionated. Uh, and uh, started taking over the meeting like Jim would do. And then when we walked out of the meeting, Bill Shaw said to Eric, I want his ass on the road tomorrow syndicating these shows. We don't need his ass in the office trying to tell us how to run the business. Uh, And I remember thinking, wow, he's got some heat with Bill Shaw. And I think that was the main reason he was taken off. Only Jim can answer that. And I, you know, I I don't know if he's, if he's addressed that on his podcast or not. Let's talk about, uh, Bill Watts a little bit. Uh, Watts is fired. 
for a variety of reasons, I'm sure. But the biggest mm. of which was political. He, he did an interview, uh, with the pro wrestling torch and Mark Madden helped stir this up because yeah. on February 9th, Mark Madden faxed this interview to Hank Aaron for his comments. And Aaron took the interview to the TBS president, Terry McGurk, mm. and the announcement of Watts resignation happened the very next morning. Watts in the interview with the torch said something like, if you own a business and you put the money in, why shouldn't you be able to discriminate? It's your business. If free enterprise is going to make or break it, you should be able to discriminate. It's your business. You should be that by God. If you're going to open your doors in America, you can discriminate. Why the fuck not? That's why I went into business so that I could discriminate. I mean, really? I mean, I want to be able to serve who I want to. It's my business. It's my investment. So if they come in and say, no, I can tell an F word to get the fuck out. And I should have the right to not associate it with an F word. If I don't want to, I should have the right to not have to fire an F word. If I don't want to, I mean, why would I hire a fucking F word? If I don't like F words, F words discriminate against us. Don't they? Sure. They do. Mm. Do blacks discriminate against whites? Who's killed more blacks than anyone? The fucking blacks. But they want to blame all that bullshit roots that came on the air. That Mm. roots was so bullshit. All you have to do if you want slaves is hand beads to the chiefs and they gave you the slaves. What is the best thing that has ever, ever happened to the black race? They were brought to this country. No matter how they got here, they were brought here. You know why? Because they intermarried and they got educated. They're the ones running the ruining the black race. You go down to the black countries and they're all broke. ID, ID and mean killed more blacks than we ever killed. You see what <laughs> I mean? That's how stupid we are. We get caught up in all this bullshit rhetoric and it's so ridiculous what's happening in our country. Lester Maddox was right. If I don't want to sell fried chickens to blacks, I shouldn't have to. It's my restaurant. Hell, I at least respect, respect him for his stand. By the way, Lester Maddox is the former Alabama governor who was most famous in the sixties, uh, for blocking a school door and not allowing black children into a, a formerly all white school. Yeah. So that was Bill Watts talking to the torch. Uh, yep. All oh, that was Bill Watts talking to the torch while he was running WCW. You know, what's funny is, uh, Jesus, <laughs> I just read that from the torch and the whole speech about that dude being out Lester Maddox. I was like, no, that's not, you know, that's, that's the wrong guy. He was the governor of Georgia. Lester, yeah, Maddox. Lester Maddox was, yeah. But, uh, the, uh, George Wallace was the governor of Alabama. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a matter of fact, you know, because I saw that Forrest Gump was standing in the doorway with him. That's right. Uh, when heaven. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a Lester Maddox bridge, believe it or not. So Hank, uh, Hank Aaron is follow, is, is interviewed by Mark Madden as a follow up right. to this. And he says, <clears> I think there was a little bit of pressure put on him, but not by me. What I did yesterday after you and I talked and I got the thing is I took it down to Terry McGurk, the proper people, I guess they were very disturbed by the language that was being used. And this is too big of a company and it stands for too much to have something like this stand in the way. Eventually, um, there would be statements by Watts in the torch interview that Aaron needed to respond to because he wanted to actually respond to that specific thing we just read. And Hank says it was horrible. 
They were horrible statements in this day and age for anybody, regardless of whether he made them or anyone else, it's really just despicable. Regardless of whether you work for a company or you work for yourself or whether you're independent. And he compared the statements that Watts had made with what Marge shot had just recently said in baseball. He says, it's the same thing. It's one in the same. I can't say Marge was worse. Mm. Now, this is something that a lot of folks have talked about for a long time because everyone hears that. And they say, oh, well, Bill Watts is a racist. Well, other people would defend it and say, was he really a racist? If JYD was his top guy, was he really a racist? If, if he made Ron Simmons the world champion, but some people think in hindsight that maybe Bill Watts wanted to make Ron Simmons, the world champion, just like PR sort of CYA cover his own ass. I can't be racist. I made Ron Simmons the first black heavyweight champion. What do you remember about these interviews and what everyone was talking about in the fallout? Well, I remember this being the final salvo. The bill had done a couple of other things that to me were, were just absolutely pushing him off the cliff with WCW. He was packing when he came to the office. That was the rumor and innuendo that he had a gun. And the Turner people found out about that and were like livid that he was bringing a gun into the CNN center because that's where our offices was. Also, I had heard that, you know, Bill was, uh, was very outspoken, as you just read, uh, and was also very outspoken to a guy like Bill Shaw and, and Bob Dew and those guys that were above him. And when Bill, this is also rumor and innuendo, but I heard it from so many different sources, that when Bill in his office had to take a piss, he'd go and piss off the balcony at the CNN Center instead of walk to the bathroom down the hall, which is all the way down at the other end of the hall. And the Turner people got wind of that, and they're thinking, what the fuck, who, who the fuck have we hired here? Packing, pissing off the balcony, doing whatever he fucking wants, showing us he's in charge, and now this comes out. So this was like the, the coup de grace, so to speak, right? You know, what's, what's the feeling in the locker room when Watts is out. I know that he wasn't the most popular guy because he had changed so much of the pay and you know, the, the contracts and even the matches, you know, you can't do stuff. If you go over the top rope, it's a DQ and there's no mats and you can't, um, you You can't can't go off. You can't go off the top rope, right? You can't climb the top turnbuckle and go off. That's a disqualification. I feel like I should Uh, mention they did announce before the NWA match that WCW rules weren't happening here. This was going to be an NWA style rule. So you could come off the top, which they needed to do for mood. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. The, the feeling was uh, Conrad. The feeling was very simply. And and, uh, look, I I talked about working with bill and, and loving, uh, how he, uh, he instructed me on how he wanted me to call a match that no one had ever done before or since only had one boss through all these years that told me, I want you to call him at this way, and here is why. And I love that about him. But it was a big sigh of relief with the guys that maybe we'll be able to make some money now. Right. And I told I told you that my money, which was being cut by Watts, was saved by Eric saying, we're not going to cut your pay. So for me, it was a sigh of relief financially, and it was a big sigh of relief for the guys as well. And that was it. I mean, it came down to money, really. 
I mean, you could fuck with the guy all you want, but as long as you don't fuck with the money, you'll you'll uh, you'll take some shit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's kind of like what it was. So I had Bill uh, and his wife over to the house a number of times. We got to be friends. Hated to see him leave for many reasons, uh, only because. Uh, and again, you know, Jr. was like this too. I talked about Jr. They just Jr. and 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 Watts worked in the office with such confidence, just absolute such confidence that that I admired that about him. Uh, that about him. I gotta and, tell you, uh, he sounds like a real piece of shit here. Who, Bill Watts? Yeah, yeah, he could be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know uh, I know that you're telling us about your work experience with him, and I can appreciate yeah. that, but. This whole, why shouldn't I be allowed to discriminate? I'm from Alabama and even I'm offended. Damn. Well, yeah, that, that's stupid. That's all stupid. Okay. And, and again, I, I'm just, I just, uh, I, I never did. I never did read that because I didn't read the stuff. Right. But I heard that and, uh, and knew that was the final blow. It's just weird to me, you know, even here in 93 for someone to just come out and be like, I want to discriminate. It's like, yeah. wait, what? Well, you know, he apparently, oh, look at this. He apparently has gotten the Lord now. You've heard that, haven't you? Yeah. Okay. Well, good for him. All right. Listen, I'm sure he's, I mean, listen, people can change. I'm not saying. Yeah, I I agree with that. That statement reads like a fucking asshole. Yeah, of course it does. Absolutely it does. All right. We're getting near the finish of the match now. And uh, Sting had been bleeding the forehead. Both men had welts, bloody welts on their back from this thing. Both men have bumped and sold, and they, here and when they take Vader's uh, head headgear off, as we called it, uh, it's going to open up Vader's ear, and he's going to bleed like you wouldn't believe. Take a look at this. Wow. Vader, a great job of helping Sting get himself over. Unbelievable belly to back there from Sting yeah. on Vader in a big yeah. moment in the match. Yeah, and, and Vader also, if you go back and look at that Vader, you know, oh, look at that DDT. Vader also, have, the fans are really into this now. Of course, the rules is you got to touch all four corners in succession, dragging your man around. If your momentum is broken, you have to start over again. And uh, we're getting to the point to where the referee is going to take a bump here in a minute, I do believe. And you, uh, here we go. Sting working on the face. I mean, he is beat. He's telling the referee, get the fuck out of the way. And he's beating the son of a bitch down. And Vader is just selling his ass off here, buddy. Just, again... You come into a show thinking a lot of this stuff's bullshit, and now you're saying, look at this. Now you're saying, this shit here is real. If those are working punches, those are great working punches. I don't think they're working punches. It is I think it, I, it, it is telling a cool story here because yeah. Vader's always the bully in the corner, and this time right. Sting just yeah. beats him down. And right. Really, really, really nicely done here. The, yeah. head, the headgear comes off, and yeah. we're going to start to see Vader's ear. Yeah. bleed profusely to the point that he even goes to the hospital after uh-huh. the show. And they tell a great story here. The ref takes a bump from Vader's boot as sting has him up on his shoulders and he's carrying him on his back, right? Corner to corner, touching all the turnbuckles. And he's going to touch his third one here. And on his way to number four, the ref who just took a bump from an errant boot to the face from Vader is in the way. And Sting's going to trip, and that's going to cause the momentum for him to touch the fourth yeah. turnbuckle to fail. So he's so close, but doesn't quite make it. Really cool story. I thought that was well done. Yeah, it was. Everything everything here was well done. Now, Vader is, 
You see Vader, he reached over and uh, grabbed his left ear as if to say, holy shit, the blood is coming out. I'm I thinking that the blood came out from not only the mask coming off, but also Sting beating the fuck out of him on the side of the head. Yeah, I think Sting hit him and 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 got his, got the ear going. Yeah. Uh, Keller would write, Vader was hospitalized from bleeding heavily from his ear in this match, but he was released later that night. Right. Keller also thought this was a match of the year candidate already. He called yeah. it four and a half stars. Really good stuff here. Yeah, great stuff. Great storytelling. Again, uh, a super heel against uh, hero babyface. Uh, and now he's he's dragging Sting all around the corners. And just, you know, calling out to the crowd, you know, just he had great timing, did Vader, as far as crowd was concerned, uh, as far as looking out to the crowd and see that way he does it, goes two and he screams out and Sting is fighting, referee back into it, Vader bleeding, fucking, here we go. Uh, and Sting fighting, it just, guys, it, it, Wade Keller's right. This was a candidate for match of the year. There's no question. And it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's one of these matches that, and there's the four. And look how ble Vader is bleeding. Holy shit. I'm, I think if I'm right, it, it, uh, I'm not so sure it, it was inside of the ear. I think it was right below the ear where it tore away from the, the face, the skin there tore. And that's where he started bleeding. That's was the end of that. And <laughs> stick fucking, uh, Jesus laid it in, man. I mean, he's wearing his ass out. Yes, he is wearing his ass out. And the blood and you, is everywhere. It's right. It's another great performance by Vader. And I feel like sting had his best matches in this era with Vader and cactus Jack. And I think, you know, Vader had his best matches with sting and cactus Jack. I think that yeah. three, that trio of guys right there, this was their best work. Don't you think? Yeah, it, it was, it was one of the better pay-per-view matches. What, uh, what was wrong about it is they, we, we go back to this three shot here. We didn't need to do that. No, no. And again, we're trying to time it out to two hours and, and 50 minutes. And we're about what? Three minutes short. And now they're going to talk about those going to a party and doing whatever they have, are going to do. Uh, and I guess Johnny's going to get some pussy. They bring in a Barry and, uh, Barry does a very heelish type interview here. Don't need to do that after what we've seen. You just need to show carnage, show a couple of replays. But uh, again, when you get to the end of a pay-per-view like this and you got a little bit more time because you, you never know the timing is not going to always work out with the guys in the ring, you're scrambling to hit zero. So you throw guys in like that and, and you're just kind of, in other words, booking on the fly or well, formatted show on the fly. I did like the idea of giving Barry a little bit of an opportunity to talk because he's your new champ and we haven't heard from him. And the little shot of him looking at the belt before he starts talking, I thought was really great. Yeah. Well, Barry knew what he was doing and I agree, but Barry's interview should have come right after his win. No. And it should have been part of the body of the show. I agree. And of course that is, uh, that is Tony Schiavone booking armchair booking, but Jesus, what a great event. And we're going to go back to me and Jesse to wrap it up. Uh, but absolutely, uh, a memorable night on many, many levels, flair, Ben Wyan, Davey boy, Smith in Jesse and I work at a pay-per-view for the first time and Vader and sting kicking everybody's ass. So the Do match, uh, goes 20 minutes and 57 seconds. Of course, Vader gets the win here, but sting is left standing. Vader's bloody. 
but what everybody I think mostly remembers this match for is the white castle of fear video. Now they didn't air that on the pay-per-view because by this point, I think they realized it's fucking awful, but we do have it posted on our Facebook this morning and Tony and I voice it over and it's hilarious. Go out of your way to check it out on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash WH Monday. If you'd also like to see the Arn Anderson Zubaz STF with Eric Watts at a gas station. I didn't make anything in that sentence up. That's all a real sentence. You can see that on Twitter right now. It's WHW Monday on Twitter. And you can also vote in next week's poll. And we're uh, bringing back the poll concept this week. But instead of four options, Tony, we're only doing two options. How do you like them apples? Okay, yeah. That 50-50 chance here, right? 50-50 chance. And we're doing Mm -hmm. it this way because we're going to keep with our our anniversary motif, if you will. But what we're going to do is we're going to give you two different options. And option number one is super brawl eight. Uh, this one goes down in February of 1998 and you got Booker T working with Rick Martell for the television title. Uh, and then a match with Booker T and Perry Saturn. You've also got disco and La Parka Goldberg and Brad Armstrong. Mask versus title with Jericho and Hooventude, the British Bulldog working with Mongo, DDP working with Benoit, Luger and Randy Savage. And then we start to get to the main events. It's the Outsiders versus School Board and Ham Cube for the World Tag Team Championships. And then in the main event, Sting and Hulk Hogan in a rematch from Starcade. That one went down on February 22nd, 1998 at the Cow Palace. What do you remember about Super Brawl 8, Tony? I remember about being at the fucking cow palace all fucking day, man. That's what I remember personally. Uh, it, uh, was a legendary wrestling venue. It was San Francisco bullshit. It's way outside of San Francisco up near the airport. And it was just a dirty old cow palace is what it was. That's how I remember about it. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's what I remember. Well, so if you want to hear Tony talk about a building, (laughs) Vote for Super Brawl 1998. Now, Super Brawl Revenge is poll option number two. This one goes down February 18th, 2001. So if this is what wins the poll, uh, and this will be kind of fun, we're going to cover it one day after the anniversary. Uh, They did this show at the Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, and it only drew 4,300 fans because WCW is on their way out of here. And this card is kind of interesting. We got Shane Helms working in an elimination match with Evan Courageous, Kaz Hayashi, Jamie Noble, Shannon Moore, and Young Yang. We've also got Hugh Morris working with The Wall, Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo taking on Mark Jindrak and Sean Stasiak, Chavo Guerrero Jr. working for the Cruiserweight Championship with Rey Mysterio. We've also got the United States title on the line with Dustin Rhodes and Rick Rude. Totally Buffed, which is Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell are going to be working a handicap match with Brian Adams, one half of chronic. We've got Ernest Miller working with Lance storm, Chris Canyon working with diamond Dallas page. Diamond Dallas page is also going to be taking on Jeff Jarrett. And then in your main event, two out of three falls retirement match for the world heavyweight championship. It's Scott Steiner and Kevin Nash. Cause I know when I think of a two out of three falls match, I'm like, Fuck, what is Kevin Nash doing? Let's get him in here. Uh, that is super brawl revenge, Tony of the two, oh. which one of these would you like to cover next week? I'd like to, rec- I'd like to cover super brawl eight because it's, uh, to me, it's a more, uh, exciting time. 
Uh, Super Brawl Revenge was near the end, as we know, and those were hard times. Don't want to don't want to go back and talk about hard times anymore. Well, go vote right now. WHW Monday on Twitter. You've got two poll options, Super Brawl 98 and Super Brawl Revenge from 01. And don't forget to check out this White Castle of Fear video on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. Tony, let's do some questions here about Super Brawl 3 and get out of here. You ready for some rapid fire questions? Go get them, Conrad. If I can remember things. Okay, yes. we'll, we'll see how it goes. Mr. Tradition wants to know, Tony, what is your favorite Vader match from WCW? It's the one we just saw by far. Oh, the, uh, the white castle of fear match. I think it, I think it showed how big of a badass Vader can be. And he took quite a ass kicking. And that was my favorite one of all time. My, my, um, this was not my favorite, but it is it one of uh, my favorites, but my favorite is him with spin the wheel, make the deal. Make- with Cactus, with Jack. Cactus Jack, and then yeah. closely following it is Ric Flair Vader at Starcade '93. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I just thought that uh, Sting was the great uh, hero, babyface to Vader super heel, and that's what made this one my favorite. Colorado wants to know: Were you ever in the makeup chair mm. when Sting was doing his makeup? Uh, no, Sting. Uh, Sting did his own makeup uh, in the locker room. He never went to the makeup chair and did it. Did Sting but ever was, help you with your makeup? No, 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 no. I I never let Sting help me with my makeup. Only only the makeup girls help me with my makeup. Robbie wants to know who was a better guitarist, Max Payne or JT Southern? Uh, <laughs> uh, to me, it would be Max Payne. He gets my money. Sam says Jesse seemed much more comfortable with Tony than Jr. Does that go back to their WWE days? I, I think working together had something to do with it. And I, I mentioned earlier in this program, I don't think, and I don't know why, I don't think that JR and Jesse got along. No, and JR has come out and said that he wishes he would have handled that better. He was upset about the amount of money that um, Jesse made, but he realizes now, hey, that wasn't his fault. He negotiated a good deal, and right. uh, he shouldn't have been mad at him for that. Um, Wesley wants to know, was Vader as mean when the cameras were not on? He could be, if he was still in Vader mode, he could be a very much a badass. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I remember I was thinking about this as we're getting ready to do the show. Uh, we had an event in, uh, in Milwaukee. I, I can't remember what year it was, but I remember it was snowing and we were there the night before it was snowing. I don't know this and Vader, Vader had dinner with us. Me and a bunch of guys, and Vader was just super nice. Uh, and I remember, well, you know, to play such a shit heel on TV, he can be such a nice guy. Uh, but I, I, I've seen both sides of him, but I've also seen the Vader that uh, uh, that could, you know. I don't know if you've done a search on beating up that woman in Japan or not, but no, that's the way it could be. So uh, Matt wants to know, Max Payne, Max Payne seemed like a guy who was kind of out there in real life. Does Tony have any stories about him? I don't have any stories. He was not out there in real life. He the, wasn't. The TV, that was his character. The TV grump wants to know more of a comment than a question, <laughs> but wow, Harley blading Vader's back is something, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I guess that's old school shit, right? The history of WWE wants to know, Tony, what's your favorite spot to eat in Asheville? There used to be downtown. I don't know if they still have any more. Used to be a place called Bill Stanley's Bluegrass and Barbecue. 
and it was a great barbecue joint. They had bluegrass music. Uh, I, I, I went there, as a matter of fact, during the weekend of the show. Uh, we went there, I think, after Greg and I played uh, golf on Saturday night. I don't know if it's still there or not, but uh, it was there one time, and it was great. Shane wants to know, did Flair get any heat for saying those Japs on commentary yeah, for the great movie match? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, rem- I I heard this. I watched this a couple of days ago and heard say, I mean, Flair say those Japs, and it made me laugh out loud. Uh, if he did, uh, they didn't say anything to me about it. Yeah, it's weird because, you know, these days, of course, you couldn't say anything like that. But yeah, there were certain folks who just, what? I mean, like they were oblivious, like, oh, I didn't know you couldn't say that. Right. Exactly. Um, late to the Nitro Party wants to know, did Klondike Bill eat White Castle? And if so, was it before or after parking lot panties? No, he ate White Castles that had been baked in a special oven. Oh. Uh, Jeff wants to mean, know, oh. I don't know. I don't even hey, want to know. I, I mean, I they, they were, they were, I understand they were baked in a special oven for a couple of hours and, uh, he ate them and ate them without, sometimes without, without hands. Let's move along. Hey, Jeff wants <laughs> yeah, to know, did you guys, they, what the late to the nitro party shit had always ask these questions. So I've got to answer them as best. I know if I don't, they'll say Shivani doesn't remember shit. Uh, Jeff wants to know, did Vader have a better feud with sting during his WCW run? And I think he means than sting. Um, Vader is, is sting his perfect opponent. Yeah. Do you think it, perfect foil? Absolutely. I think we touched on that earlier. what do you think of the pairing of Vader and race? Uh, I, I like, I liked it because to me, it was them giving Harley a payday, which he certainly deserved because of who he was, you know, I've often said that if I had the business, if I, if I ran Vince McMahon's business right now, there'd be some guys who would always get a payday. Uh, and, uh, Harley race would be one of them. Uh, and they all, they often thought that pairing him would help Vader as far as, uh, just helping Vader learn more about the business. Uh, Ed wants to know, well, let's move on to Matt. Matthew wants to know, did Tony give up by this time? Just wishing he could go back to WWE by this time. No, uh-uh. by this time I was pretty happy because my money that was going to be cut. We're talking about by around super Bowl three time, I guess by the time my money was going to be cut, it was back. I was working with Jesse now. So I was, I was pretty happy. Uh, and I was also, you know, we were just starting the Eric Bischoff era. So I was kind of interested to see if he was going to come through with the things that he said he was going to come through with, like bringing in Hulk Hogan. Uh, Ed Jackson wants to know, was there ever any backstage animosity between Sting and Vader? Not that I'm aware of. Michael wants the, to go ahead. The only backstage animosity was, of course, the ones that we've well documented on prior. And go back in the archives if you want to listen to it. I don't know which one it was. But between Vader and Paul Orndorff, that fight that I had ringside seat to. Uh, Michael wants to know how many white castle sliders can Tony put away in one sitting? Uh, you know, I used to be able to do like six or seven, but I can only like do one or two. Well, they give you indigestion or something. Yeah. I, I know it looks like I can eat a lot more, but I can't eat like I used to. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's my old age. Now, Klondike bill. That's another story. Fuzz wants to know fuzz <laughs> white castle of fear. Who booked yeah. this shit? Well, shit, hey, like, watch it, Fuzz, and then say that again. 
Okay. Fuck. You're going Sharon Sadello though, right? Well, okay. He's talking about the video, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was Sharon Sadello did. To Turner Home Entertainment people. Mike wants to know, hey, Tony, was Vader considered the stiffest worker in the company at this time? No, no question. No question. But you knew what you were going to get. James says he was there second row behind the announcer side of the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, wants to know where you were in the arena before the show started and the entire crowd was chanting. We want flair. Where was I? Yeah. In the, uh, I was obviously backstage somewhere in a room. I mean, is, is everybody talking about that? Like what about the, flair? the crowd chanting, we want flair. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a big deal. Absolutely. I mean, we were in North Carolina. Well, it's a big deal that, uh, you've been around to enjoy super brawl three with us. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, man, because WCW is in a state of disarray, but this show was super fun. Go check it out on your WWE network. We hope you had fun with us this week and we're going to see you next week where we cover either super brawl 1998 or super brawl revenge from 2001. Go vote right now on Twitter. It's at WHW Monday and Facebook has a hilarious video. This White Castle of Fear mini movie you always wanted. Tony and I are doing alternate commentary right now on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. But Tony, when I look at my clock, I realize it's about that time. It's time for the White Castle of Fear death match between the nature boy, Ric Flair, and Conrad Thompson. Special referee, Klondike Bill. And now in the corner, Conrad has the nature boy, Ric Flair, Pounding away. Oh, Fifi the maid is up on the apron of the ring. She has a plate full of White Castles. She's trying to feed them to Conrad to stop pounding the nature boy, Ric Flair. Here comes the special referee, Klondike Bill in the middle. He sets for Ebson both. Oh, my God. All of a sudden, a, a White Castle burger drops out of I don't know where. It looks like it dropped off of Fifi the maid somewhere. And Klondike Bill is now on all fours down eating the White Castle. My God, fans, we've got to go. We're desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. At least they were in 1993. We're out of time. See you next week on What Happened When Monday. It's on the MLW Radio Network. The world of MLW Radio never stops. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 